Wham, Bam, Thank You, Ma'am is a podcast that discusses sex, intimate and sexual situations, sexualized anatomy, alcohol, and substance use. Naughty language will be used. We recommend listeners be 18 or older, as some content will not be suitable for younger listeners. Individual episodes may contain additional content warnings. Please refer to these at the start of each episode to keep yourself safe. Most importantly, have fun and enjoy. The man's run on three things, caffeine, sass, and smut. The last two we provide to the masses every week, but we haven't found a way to make a caffeinated podcast yet. Which is why I'm proud to introduce Atlas Coffee Club to you, our darling listeners. Atlas Coffee Club curates the top 1% of the world's best coffee, roasted and ground to your preference, and delivered freshly to your door. Each month you'll receive single-origin 100% Arabica coffee from a new country, a postcard from that country, and an info card detailing the country's history, tasting notes for the beans, and context about what makes your coffee unique. With a focus on sustainability and a commitment to paying above fair trade prices, Atlas Coffee Club is a great way to start the morning with a whole lot of good. Want to get in on this one-of-a-kind experience? Use code WBTYM at checkout or go to atlascoffeeclub.com WBTYM to get 50% off your first month's subscription and up to $50 off gifts. Get flirty and stay thirsty. Welcome to Wham Bam Thank You Ma'am, the smuttiest, sluttiest podcast this side of literary analysis. My name is Corinne and I'm here because I studied media and literature in college, which somehow led me to this point and I'll never quite understand. Roxy, why are you here? Hi, my name is Roxy. I have a singing telegram for your Christmas. I don't know why you brought me in here to sit down and talk about your smut books but um sing (laughs) jingle balls jingle balls (laughs) all up in your mouth oh no I I really need to leave (laughs) you can't leave until it is finished oh that's a line in the song (laughs) (laughs) a mental health professional who loves romance novels and breaking apart the tropes in them Trying to get these folks to read some good literature. I guess I'm here. Not all here, but mostly. Uh, I don't know if all of us are all here. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Andy? Oh, I'm here because I ran out of chestnuts to put over the open fire. So. Oh, are you harvesting chestnuts for us? Yeah. No. I so I was on my way to the supermarket and I just kind of saw you guys like in the alley with your box and I just thought I'd hop in and be like, Hey, oh, what's you going saw on? You saw these chestnuts? Hey, yo. <laughs> I think you mean. I think you mean cantaloupes, friend. No, <laughs> the Patreon viewers. No. Patreon Why does viewers. it say we got ten more Patreon members <laughs> after this episode aired? Why? One for every inch of visible cleavage. Anyway, <laughs> listen. Her tits look incredible. Let her celebrate it. They do look amazing. Let me celebrate it, too. <laughs> <laughs> really, if you can't see these videos, you're missing out on Andy, gorgeous cleavage. Yeah, I'm a reindeer. I dressed up like a reindeer for a Christmas book. It's oh. so cute. I have a Corinne's... weird thing about deer. Yeah. Corinne's dress is like a snow queen with this cute dress on with a lot of cleavage. And I'm I'm wearing the poshest sweater I could find. <laughs> I stole it from my wife. <laughs> That's perfect for this book. Um, That is perfect for this book. (laughs) But hi, I'm Andy, also known online as Super Andiness. 
Uh, I'm here because I have been a part of fandom culture for most of my life since I could like operate uh, since I got my first computer and found Quizilla.com. The real ones know what that is. Quizilla. Oh, yeah, buddy. God. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I had forgotten. <laughs> Welcome. The, the the deep knowledge is back. <laughs> I was there when it was written. <laughs> <laughs> I was there when Wattpad was <laughs> God. I, I was talking to Roxy about this. I went back to fanfic.net to like look at old like fandoms because like obviously if they're an older fandom, they're not like updating their fix on AO3 usually. God damn. I hate navigating fanfic. Fanfic, you're a queen and we love you. You're a nightmare. <laughs> the navigation is untenable. It oh it, it is it's so hard to even just find the search function. There's no it's, tens. It's untenable. A lot, of, a lot of, like, folks who are in the trailblazer stage, like, in psychology, we all recognize Freud, but at the same time, it's like, okay, Grandpa, go sit over there and talk about your mommy issues. It's like that with fanfiction.net. It's like, okay, thanks for starting things up. Go sit over there. Grandma, does, go sit in the corner. Does, does that make AO3 the DSM-5? <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah yeah that checks out yeah it's really hate, good at categorizing things yeah hate how we've gotten here but when, yeah when are they dropping the sequel number six <laughs> <laughs> the kids bop of mental illness <laughs> now that's what i call that's what i call mental illness so that's why i'm here <laughs> And we love that for you. Ah. For our Christmas episode, we read Make You Mind This Christmas by Lizzie Huxley-Jones. It's a real sapphic Hallmark movie of a book. Yes! so good. It's so good. It's not even spoilers. It is so good. Read this book. We're not even, we haven't even talked about it yet and we're telling you to read this book. Or listen. Yeah. Yeah. The audiobook is incredible. It is a joy and a a pleasure. It's, it's a lovely Christmassy read and it's so it's so cozy and, and festive and lovely um well let's give a little summary for the folks it's the golden rule of pretending to be someone's girlfriend don't fall for their sister after a year from hell half is ready to blow off steam at a Christmas party a kind stranger a few too many drinks and suddenly she's kissing Christopher under the mistletoe in front of his ex-girlfriend The next day, the news is out that they're apparently a couple madly in love and coming to Oxley to spend the festive season with Christopher's family. But Half doesn't have better holiday plans, and to save her new friend from embarrassment, she agrees to pretend to be Christopher's girlfriend for Christmas. It has the makings of a hilarious anecdote they'll be telling for years, until Half meets Christopher's sister, the mysterious, magnetic, and utterly irresistible Kit. Maybe love was waiting for Half in this quiet little town all along. Content warnings for Make You Mind This Christmas are as follows. Discussions of ableism, class and wealth-based anxiety, panic attacks, embarrassment, mentions of biphobia, objectification, and allusions to cheating. In case you are new to the show, we've all read this book, taken notes, and highlighted some of the spiciest sections. We'll be discussing the story and sexy bits, comparing it to romance and smut fiction, with similar themes, setting, tropes, etc., while enjoying the signature drink of the episode. Today's signature drink is Hav's Peppermint Hot Chocolate. You can find recipes and instructions for the cocktail and mocktail versions of this drink in our Discord and on our social media, Pod, basically any place you look. Stick around until the very end for a tingling tingler where we read a segment from National Treasure, Chuck Tingle. 
Now, ma'ams, first drink of the episode. Woo! Oh, that is so good. It's, it's really so good. good. It's, this is my favorite drink we've done. It's so good. I'm going to just, like, chug this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Ooh, I just got my first peppermint hit. Mm, I need to put this down. <laughs> this whole podcast is just going to be like slurping noises. <laughs> Still in line with the content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So this book, as we said, is like a Hallmark movie. It is, it is adorable. We start off with our main character, Hav, uh, who is a bit of a disaster human. A bit, <laughs> <Girl>. <laughs> yeah, right. God. Really related to her. There, there's immediately a part at the start of the the book um, where let me get into my Kindle that I'm using today. My Kindle romance. One of us. One <laughs> of us. Um, where uh, she's talking about how she met her um, her her flatmate and now best friend Ambrose, and. Ambrose is amazing. Ambrose is basically the one keeping Hav together. Because Hav, like, works into jobs she hates. She is um, killing herself with this job. And then coming home and just being, like, a little gremlin watching, um, what was it, Gilmore Girls? Yes. Uh, just on the weekends and not moving. And Netflix is asking so many times, are you still there? And I'm like... That's been me. It wasn't Gilmore Girls, but Netflix has asked me multiple times if I'm still there, and I had to say yes. I will <laughs> say, not to be mean to her or anything, she's a delightful character. This is, like, the most pathetic start to a book we've read. Yeah, I <laughs> like, mean, she's it's just, an introvert dream, but yeah. 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 It's I'm sorry, she's, she's just cocooned up there on her sofa like, and she even is, like, you know, the dim glow from Netflix just on her, like, ghastly face. Um, and it starts off with her getting a FaceTime from her parents. And, like, she answers it, and her parents look all happy and sunny, and she's just in the dark. <laughs> like, like, all the stuff around her, not showered, you know? And they're just like, Hey, sweetie, how are you? Which is like that instant, like parental concern. Well, and um, she didn't mean to answer as a video call. That's like right, she, that's right. She accidentally, <laughs> yeah. And it's just we've had some very interesting starts to the books we've read. I nominate it for most pathetic. <laughs> it's pretty fucking pathetic. It, it's so pathetic because she finds out that her parents are going on a tropical vacation for Christmas. They told her, but she forgot. And they she told her make, twice. Yeah, they told her twice. And she forgot because she was so distracted with work. And she um, didn't make any plans at all for Christmas. Her uh, flatmate, Ambrose, is going home for Christmas. And she doesn't want to, like, intrude on their Christmas with their family. Uh, she doesn't have any local friends because she's moved here fairly recently. And so now she suddenly has no plans for Christmas. She's going to be all alone. And how she gets, like, she gets off the phone with her parents claiming she has to go to a party with Ambrose and then, or do something with Ambrose. And then Ambrose comes in and is like, yeah, no, actually, 
get up, we're going to a party. Yeah. It reminds me very much of the first episode of A New Girl where, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the old old text, uh, but there's a part where uh, one of the characters comes in and is like, Jess, we're going out. And she's like, do I have to shave my legs? And he's like, front and back. And she's like, ugh! And I'm like, that's <laughs> what Yeah. Um, and it, it's really sweet uh, have and Ambrose's relationship. Like, I love them. Yeah. Um, the one thing that uh, I really noted here in the beginning was that they had met online through a mutual Twitter friend and just hit it off immediately. And there's a line, thank God for very online queer people. And... Us. Us. <laughs> we met through the internet. <laughs> we met because we're very online queer people. <laughs> I made a joke in our foreplay episode, which if you haven't watched it, please do. It's hilarious. We talk about slutty Christmas songs. Um, I made a joke about how you meet a lot of gay people streaming Minecraft on Twitch. And, like, I joked, but, like, <laughs> that's how I met everyone. Yeah. Was Literally. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was even streaming Minecraft that yeah, Beach raided you, yeah. and that's how you got me. I, I think it in the beginning it was uh, just because we were playing D&D around the same time. Yep, yep. Yeah. Oh. Or we were playing t- TTRPGs uh, really late at night, and so we started raiding each other when we would yeah, finish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's absolutely crazy how... Um, the internet can really bring you to what she lovingly calls, and I'm stealing this, uh, her pocket pals. The <laughs> 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 little friends in your phone, you know. All um, the little gay people in your phone. Yeah. <laughs> that you actually do eventually meet up with and click and have a great time. And it's just so funny uh, that that's how she met them. That's how she met Ambrose uh, was, through, was through Twitter. I loved it. I absolutely love that so much. Well, and Twitter is actually really integral to this book, yeah. which is kind of sad now with how far Twitter has fallen. Um, but I, I, the Twitter was pretty integral in this book because throughout the book, Ambrose is making polls on Hav's situation because Hav gets herself in a situation, and like those Twitter polls come back to haunt. Yeah. I do just want to say one of my best friends in the entire world is such an Ambrose. Like they're they're much more of like they're sweeter than Ambrose, but I I fucking loved Ambrose so much. I was like, this is just my best friend. This is just one of my best buddies. I love this. It was uh yeah, Ambrose is great. I would have to say the the cast of this book is really good. Um characters are really well-rounded and like even characters that you may hate in the beginning when you meet them most of them round out into humans where you're like oh I was seeing a caricature caricature of you I was seeing a flattened version of you that's not really you you know spoiler alert left us wanting more of the side cast and I feel like this book did it's so much better like they brought in the side cast they they gave them their own real personalities. They had more depth than just, you know, serving as a tool for a plot. Um, it was very well done. It was very well done. Um, thoroughly enjoyed the ridiculous characters in this story. 
Yes, there's lots of characters making ridiculous choices, but in a very believable way, I would say, for the most part. The, the, the hinge of the story is the most unbelievable part, but yeah. the rest, pretty believable. Um, so Ambrose and Hav go to this party, and we find out that Ambrose is kind of crashing this party a little bit. They're there to see somebody they have a crush on named, I believe, Paco, who invited them, but like... Paco was the only one really invited to the party. So, like, Paco is just inviting somebody random, and then that random person is bringing somebody else. So they're both essentially crashing this party. And Ambrose goes off to find Paco, and Hav doesn't really know what they're doing. And while Hav is enjoying a luxurious buffet, um, she meets Christopher, who uh, helps her hold her, her plate of goodies. Um, and they start talking, and they, and they get, like, uh, they have a lot of good chemistry, like, in a, in a friendly way, lots of banter. And so when the kitchen gets flooded by drunk people coming in to find food after karaoke, they're like, let's go outside, we can keep hanging out. And that's right when Ambrose comes back and is like, hey, I'm leaving. And Hav has to put the piece together to be like, oh, you're leaving with Paco? And then Ambrose um, gives Hav some wine that they stole, uh, or champagne that they stole from the party, and sends... Prosecco. Yes, Prosecco, that's what it was. To send Hav out to go have fun with her new friend. Um, Basically telling Hav to just lighten up and have some fun, you know? Stop worrying about the end of the world and that you won't have people to hang out with for Christmas. Just enjoy the night, you know? I'm gonna go enjoy my night, you enjoy yours. And I don't know if someone else would like to take over a little bit from here. Well, they're sitting uh, outside, right? Because inside it's all warm and stuffy and there's people everywhere. And I just have to mention, like Corinne said, the way they meet is he sees her struggling with one of those like flimsy paper plates where you really do need two (laughs) of them or more. And he's just like, you know what? I'm going to hold this plate for her. And so she loads it up for both of them. And it's so cute and adorable and funny. Um, If I can interject, she does make, she does make phallic art out of the food on the plate. Yes, she does. (laughs) I just feel like that's important. I don't know why, but I just feel like it is. It is important to her character that she made phallic art on a plate in front of a complete stranger. (laughs) (laughs) Continue, Roxy. Sorry. Oh, thank you for including... The phallic artwork. <laughs> anyway. Um, so they go outside and they sit and they're under like one of those like heated lamp situations because it's cold outside. Um, and they're just having a good time talking. Like just venting to each other. Uh, like Corinne said, there's just this instant connection, completely platonic. Um, but just one of those people you really click with instantly. Uh a good example of this, I was actually introduced to Andy through one of our mutual friends, and we just instantly hit it off, you know? It was, I still remember that that group discussion and being like, this person is awesome, you know? <laughs> um, and they're just chatting, having a good time, and they see above in this, like, heated lamp that someone has stuck mistletoe. And they're like, oh, the poor thing's drying out. It's dying. How sad it would be if it didn't get to see a kiss. So they decide to, like, have a smooch platonically. Funny. I do want to say they're very drunk at they this point. They are very yeah. drunk. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're, they are, are smashed and, and giggly. And it is by no means a romantic kiss. Um, can you read the kiss, actually? Yes, yes I can. It's the most uncomfortable I've ever felt reading a kiss before. It's, yes. It's so funny. It's awful. Okay, hold on. Here we go. Um, Roxy just wanted an excuse to sip hot chocolate. <laughs> It's really okay. good. I don't have sweets a lot. Oh, that's fair, buddy. Look, I've got an idea, Hap says, grasping his arm because suddenly she's closer to him than she realized. But that's fine because there's an arm here she can hold on to. You and I appear to be job disasters. The mistletoe, she points up at it, might also be... <clears throat> Frog in my throat. Andy's like, I wish that was me. <laughs> I'll frog your throat any time, BB. I be be ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> the mistletoe, she points up at it, might also be bad at its job, so we should send it off, make sure at least one of us has a good work day. Are you suggesting that we grant it peace by allowing it to fulfill its duty before it shuffles off this mortal coil? By kissing? He asks with a soft laugh. The pink flush of his cheeks from the alcohol in the fire seems to spread up his ears, and she can see the edges of his confidence peeling away. Yes, she half laughs, half shouts. I am! A dog barks in the distance, and they fall apart into giggles and shushes again. So we're in agreement then, half asks once they've recovered. About what? Us being intoxicated? I didn't say I was, but you absolutely are. It's irrefutable. He's the kind of man who gets more verbose the tipsier he is. It's very endearing. I meant snogging to cheer up the mistletoe. The final rites. They both giggle again at the silly idea, but fuck it, she thinks. Ambrose told me to have fun after all. I can make good choices for myself, probably. And before they can say anything else, she leans up to kiss him. If the mistletoe needed a romantic kiss to thrive, well, it was going to be sorely disappointed. They meet in a clash of teeth, noses bashing together, half laughs into his mouth, and they break into a fit of giggles, clutching against each other in the firelight. It is a truly, categorically shit kiss. Wow, I'm so sorry. That was probably the worst kiss I've ever done in my life, she laughs, still clutching onto him lest she wobble into the fire pit. The worst, he says. He looks down at her face and very gently touches her bottom lip with his thumb. Did I bite you? I'm worried I bit you. <laughs> that is a drunken kiss. <laughs> the, the chemistry is there, but yeah. it's platonic chemistry. And I love it because it just captured it so well. Yeah. Um, And that is one thing I really love about Christopher as a character. There is chemistry there, but it is, it is very clearly non-romantic. Like, the entire time... There's even a few moments where, like, things could be romantic. And then, like, ha uh, have considers it and it's like, no, there's literally no spark here. It, it He's just a really good friend. Um, and so after they have this silly moment of them kissing for the mistletoe. Oh, my gosh, Toph! <laughs> it, right. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody shows up, and that somebody is who, Roxy? Laurel, who immediately... Yes. Okay, I'm going to tell you, this ended up being one of my favorite characters, but at the very first instant of meeting her, you're just like, oh, sweet fucking Christ, save me. Um, Very strong horse girl energy. Very like, oh my God, hi. <laughs> How are you? What are you doing here? Early 2000s Barbie energy. Yes. Yeah. 
Sorry. Um, and uh, while they're kissing, and half is just like, oh, shit. And she looks over at Christopher, and he has paled. He looks like he's just eaten something bad. Uh, and she's like, oh, my God, I, I can't let him be caught in, like, you know, this situation. So, have kind of takes the lead. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I'm his. Because Laurel, when she first comes across uh, Christopher, is like, is this your new girlfriend? Mm-hmm. And Laurel is then joined by a very um, classically handsome um, man. Uh, think Barf of like, <laughs> think of like you know old money. Kind of very old money. Uh, and she realizes that he is not in a very good situation. So she she goes along with it. And she's like, yeah, I'm his girlfriend. And Christopher looks over at her and he's like, thank you. Oh, my God. Holy shit. And through piecing things together, she realizes that is his ex. Laurel is his ex who he has run into at this party. So Hav kind of hands it up a bit. You know, uh, really, really supports him, you know, because she recently, we find out, has been through a very intense breakup. Um, She was with this guy for several years and they took a, they, they broke up, but she really felt like it was more of a break because it was for her to move and pursue a job and he didn't want to, like, continue things long distance and at the train station, she, like, cried, and she was like, maybe there's hope for us. And his new girlfriend showed up. Within the week they had broken up, he already had someone. Um, so she knew what that pain felt like. She knew what that public embarrassment could feel like. So she instantly is very protective of Christopher, does this lie. And he, after the two of them leave, is very grateful and he tells her a bit of the story. Uh, and they decide to take their wine with them, leave the situation, leave the party, and just crash at her place. You know, just drink some wine peacefully and bitch about life. <laughs> Which yeah, sounds basically, nice. Basically, yeah. just commiserate because they both have jobs they hate. Yeah. They both are out of relationships that everyone kind of assumed was the one for them. And so they're in a very similar place emotionally, and they've, they've become fast friends. Cut cut to the morning. <laughs> so she wakes up, and she realizes she has fallen asleep in her party dress. She's got her lipstick smeared all over, hangover, couture, you know, looking looking rough. So she makes them some tea. Ambrose is there, looks at the couch, and goes... Oh god. <laughs> like Ambrose, no, not like that. Ambrose is like, oh, okay, a stranger's just here. All right. Ambrose is hilarious. <laughs> Very much the voice of reason. Um and have mixed them some some tea. Uh and then as Christopher starts waking up, he looks at his phone and he gets that greenish tint to his face again. 
And she's like, hey, you all right there, pal? Except the British equivalent of that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Wait, all right, mate? That that got very Midwestern. Yeah. <laughs> totally there. Oh, you there. She's Welsh. So the Welsh. She Welsh. Yeah, she, she's Welsh. He's British. And she's like, you okay? And he finds out that Laurel has told everyone that he has a girlfriend. And his mother has messaged him and said, are we going to get to see her at Christmas? And Christopher looks like a rabbit about to be eaten. <laughs> He's, it, it cracks me up, the, the multiple descriptions of Christopher as he experiences emotions throughout this book. Because he, he very much is a character that has a very sweetness, a very kindness about him. But also intense anxiety. <laughs> well, and he very much wears his emotions on his face. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he cannot hide it to save his life. No. Yeah. Which, because he's been lying to his parents for years just about his ha- own happiness. And it's like, how? How, Christopher? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you look like a dying fish whenever you get upset. Bless his heart. <laughs> and she's like, she sits down next to him. And she's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then her parents call. And this woman doesn't know how to handle a phone because she answers it. And, of course, it's a it's a FaceTime, you know. Uh, and Ambrose, hopefully from the other room, says something about her boyfriend. Like, And they're like, did Ambrose just mention something about your boyfriend? And then they see Christopher in the background. And they're like... We're so happy for you. We never thought you'd get back with anyone after that asshole, you know. And and now Hav finds herself in this situation. And they're like, oh, are you going to go spend Christmas with him? And then Hav looks over at Christopher and he looks at her. And she looks at him. And he, he looks, looks at, her. at her. And uh, <laughs> their two dumb little brain cells bump into each other. And she goes... Why, yes, I am. And he messages his mom, and he's like, yes, she is. So a plan is hatched between the two pigeons. <laughs> and they yeah. decide they're going to pretend she is his girlfriend over the holidays so their parents will get off their backs. It is yes. so funny oh. and so dumb. It's such a Hallmark plot, and I love it so much. Well, and they don't even plan very well. No. <laughs> like, they're so bad at planning for this. Like, apparently they put all their eggs in one basket of being able to discuss, like, their history with each other on the train going to his parents' place. But he books the quiet car, and they're not able to discuss it. And so instead, they watch Paddington Bear. <laughs> I will so- say Go ahead, go ahead. One of my favorite characters is in that quiet car. <laughs> yes. We, 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 we don't learn much about that character in the beginning. But there is a very disheveled man who is, like, so stressed out and does not want to hear any of their nonsense. Is like, you need to stop talking about whatever ruse you're doing. I have work to do that I need to do right now. <laughs> and this is the quiet car. <laughs> yep. Stop talking about defrauding his family. 
<laughs> Real quick, I have to tell y'all who this character reminded me of. Hmm. In the Avatar series, there's a character who has cabbages. Yes! yes. <laughs> yes. keep running into. And he's just like, my cabbages! And he looks so tired and done with them. So, um, spoilers, we see him again. Yeah, multiple times. Multiple times. <laughs> uh, throughout the book, but this is the first time you meet this character. And it cracks me up. I just kept thinking of the Cabbage Man. Yeah. Yeah, just this, like, beleaguered man who's just trying to get through the holidays. <laughs> oh. And these crazy kids with their crazy schemes keep getting in the way. But I do have to say, though, before they get on this cart, before they get on the train and they hatch this plan, there is a little bump, ladies. Oh, yes, I forgot. While waiting to meet... Christopher at the train station. Half decides to go to a bookstore. Find something to read. Uh, maybe something that can spark a conversation to get in good points with the parents, you know. Make herself seem like well-educated and well-rounded and uh, like a good talking point. Um, she's very intent on supporting Christopher throughout the event, which I find very kind. Um... But however, have being the chaotic bisexual she is, Ugh. has this giant ass backpack instead of just a little suitcase and turns and bumps over a display case of books. Turning around and seeing a mysterious woman. Ooh. <laughs> a very attractive, mysterious Very woman. attractive lady. Um... I, I would say this is a lady we might describe as tall, dark, and handsome. Like, yeah, yeah she it. has like long, dark hair, and she's like tall and has a cane and everything. Yeah, like um, she's very mysterious. Very mysterious, and they start up some good banter, like some real flirty banter. Um, and she recommends a, a queer romance novel to have. And have picks up what she's putting down. Um, and the flirting just gets... It's obvious. It's so obvious. It's not just being nice. It's not like when a straight girl is just really kind and complimenting you. It's it's flirting. She winks at her. <laughs> the stranger <laughs> winks at have, right? Straight girls don't <laughs> wink. <laughs> so, some bi girls can't wink. Yeah. It's okay. You you have the double blink. We've I do have the double. I do have that. Um, and she steps out. Uh, the mysterious stranger steps out to take a phone call, and have goes to purchase the book, and the bookseller is like, "Did you get her number?" (laughs) The bookseller is like, "In." I love the bookseller. The the bookseller literally says, "It's not every day a meet cute happens in your bookstore." And um, the bookseller is like, you know, if you want to leave a number here for if she comes back, I'll help you out. And like, it's just really supportive. But Hav is like, you know what? I already have so much shit going on. I'm a disaster. I'm helping a guy I just met pretend to be his girlfriend. I, I'm just going to go. Um, the bookseller is very upset. And he goes, this is a quote I saved. Because Corinne says, you know, 
he said that you don't see something like that that often, like a, a genuine bumping of strangers, romantic instant connection. Um, and he says that that is the kind of queer story we deserve. And I feel like that very much sets the tone for this book because I remember growing up seeing a lot of Hallmark movies around Christmas time. And even though I'm bisexual and yes, I can relate to the, the straight relationships, there were none that were same sex or that were queer. And as someone who is now married to my wife, it's difficult because it is so hard to find that. And, and it almost lays it out in the book. It's almost like the bookseller is the author themselves, like a self-insert, you know, <laughs> uh, of this is the story we deserve. So I'm going to write it. We yeah. deserve a happy holiday Hallmark movie. Um, we still don't really have, by the way. My mom has the Hallmark streaming service. They still don't really have any queer stuff on there. There has been a few recently. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the names, but I remember reading about it in some article there that was, was sent to me. There was a certain movie that um, was, okay, it was really weird because it was like two versions of it were made, one that was queer and one that was straight. That way it was the same movie, but like just swapping the gender of the, the love interest so that it could be marketable in all um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, markets and it was it was like okay you're that's you're being a big chicken yeah <laughs> so it's like things are slowly getting better but still it's kind of disheartening also another thing that happened with the bookseller that I do want to to address because because they were talking about these are the queer stories we deserve and then uh have goes the tale of the useless bisexual. And in my notes, I wrote, oh, my autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Same, buddy. I feel you. But yeah, like, there's this very energetic, magnetic, instant attraction that happens. And then she doesn't see this person again. Decides to just keep going, go to the train station, help Christopher. So she's got enough going on. Yeah, like, she's, she's got, got enough got going, so on. going on. And, and Christopher actually, like... Christopher's able to cheer her up which really does show like he's a good guy you know like he re- he recognizes something's a little off and he's able to cheer her up they have a good bromance they do have a good bromance a good bromance uh so <laughs> there is another uh quote though while she's sitting and chatting with Christopher um, after the, the bookshop incident. This is another quote that I love so much. Uh, and I think she was talking about, like, her experiences with, like, you know, working with wildlife and working with social media related to her job. And she goes, you know, I didn't realize there were so many bear-based emergencies in your life. And half goes, not many gay people in your life are there. <laughs> turns bright pink. But it's just, there's so many cute little quips in this book. It's so intelligent. It's, uh, without being pretentious, it's very witty. Um, it's full of lines like these, folks. 
Yeah, it's very witty. And and the whole reason the bear-based emergency came up is because Hav keeps uh, Paddington 2 on her, right. on her phone That's for right. emergencies. Because <laughs> she loves Paddington, and in particular Paddington 2, because it's about bringing down the prison industrial complex. <laughs> I've never seen any Paddington movies, and I have to now. I, have to. I haven't either, and I know I need to see it. All, I, all it made me think of is the the essentially the the meme that the person who's putting Paddington in a new movie scene every day until they forget um <laughs> if you haven't seen it it's it's really good <laughs> it's just like really serious scenes from movies or like and there's just Paddington added really well <laughs> to fit into the movie <laughs> it's really funny <laughs> so all these little quips happen they get on the train, like Corinne said, a guy tells them, please stop talking about your weird shit, please. We just have work we want to get done. <laughs> We're in the quiet car. And, and there's like a smattering of applause and people agreeing. Like, this like, is the really, quiet car. Job. Shut up. <laughs> I will say, um, freaking England, Britain in general, like, I will never forget being on their, like, train systems because they were so nice. The nicest I ever saw was Germany. But Britain, they, <laughs> they take it seriously. They, you know, you sit, you keep to yourself. You don't be a little douche nozzle. <laughs> Everyone's got work to do. <laughs> this is the most confrontational thing I've ever read. <laughs> I, okay, I know that they have committed many a sins. I do still want to go to Britain someday. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. It was a wonderful time. Um, fantastic folks over there. Uh, which we will constantly tease as we are teased back as we are Americans and the younger siblings in, <laughs> among the nations. Um, but yeah, uh, they survive. <laughs> They're right on the train. They... Uh, make it through by watching Paddington, which is hilarious <laughs> that they're like, well, guess we can't scheme, which God, these dumbasses, they should have just, they should have just talked they before for they the train. <laughs> or use a, like a, a notebook app or something. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought they were going to start typing on their phone and instead it was, no, let's just watch Paddington. But no, let's just shut down and be iPad kids. Okay. <laughs> I love so they, they end up uh, then going from there to a cab, and then they get to his house. And I was cracking up because there are so many hints that he's rich. Yeah. There are so many little hints. Like, he works in finance. Uh, his ex looks like a model, and her, her, her partner looks like a rugby player. Like, well-dressed, expensive clothing. Like, there's so many little... Things that hint at him coming from, like, a wealthy family. She doesn't pick up anything that's put down. She No, she is entirely flabbergasted when they pull up to what she refers to as, like, a manor. Like, a manor house. <laughs> I have legitimately just, like, looked at my friend's childhood homes. Like, be like, oh, yeah, this is where I used to live. And then you look on Google Maps. She doesn't look up anything. She just... She doesn't she, research him at all. She didn't even think to find out what part of the country she was going to. Yeah, she trusts him too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Which is part of the reason why Ambrose is so annoyed and, like, flabbergasted and just, like, a... a How have you survived up here? Yeah, yeah. You are a terrier. Yeah. You're a little terrier dog. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. Yeah. Um, cause, cause have just trust, you know. Didn't even Google his name? Come on. Just, just trust the vibes. And it's like, have you had some time to think about this and you didn't Google anything? When I first dated my wife, first date, I think I looked on her Facebook until like she was in middle school. I think I I like looked through so much, like... You're listening. Hi, honey. Uh, (laughs) Like, I looked at her mom's Facebook. I looked at, like, I, first date, not even, like, first trip to meet family. I was like, show me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the thing is, even after they're not allowed to be talking anymore, the, they still could have shown each other photos of the family. The only photos Half sees before she gets there is photos of the dogs. Which, <laughs> fair. Which, fair. But, like... They're both pigeons. And I yeah, them. like, they are made for each other in a platonic sense. It was karma that brought these two pigeons together. <laughs> so these dumbasses go down the private driveway... She sees the manor and thinks, oh, fuck. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this. Because, <laughs> like, she she doesn't prepare to know anything about them that, like, a normal person would research. She just does stuff like, you know, oh, I'll talk to the dad about whiskey and I'll help the mom around the house and I'll I'll bring them these snacks from the bakery which is so relatable, by the way, when you're trying to make a good first impression. Like, yeah, that's so yeah. relatable. And like, she, like those are all good things to do to make a good first impression. However, like she should have just looked them up a little bit or asked him questions before they're on the train. And it's because what she was expecting is that, you know, she expected that they had a little bit of money or like a slightly higher class than her family was. But she was thinking maybe like nice house in a, like, on a suburban street kind of deal, you know? Not private drive, acres of land, manor house, you know? And she definitely has some class-based anxiety because of that. That comes up a lot. Um, She has some panic attacks because of it, um, which is very fair, uh, being thrust into a situation where suddenly you're questioning everything about your own upbringing, like, am I good enough to be here? Um... It's one of the themes that runs through the book is, like, the difference in how uh, Hav's family would do something and the way that the Calloways do it. Um, Or even just, you know, the normal things that seem normal to the Calloways that just aren't really normal um, by, you know, other class standards. By the way, that's Christopher's last name. Yes, Calloway. Um, So they get to the house. And uh, Christopher's mother opens the door and greets greets them. And and what happens, Roxy? You were particularly mortified by this. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna warn y'all. If I am a person who needs to be very cautious because I can feel very strong empathy. If you 
feel strong secondhand embarrassment. Maybe just skip that page. Maybe <laughs> just maybe maybe just skip a few pages and keep reading the story because because she goes to touch his mom's arm in a similar gesture to her her uh her uh mother-in-law I'm doing air quotes has done to her the mom raises her arm and have gropes her titty she just <laughs> full on boob side boob full on <laughs> yep full on gets in there and thankfully Esther which is the mom's name is gracious enough not to mention the fondling incident she's chill as hell <laughs> Have is mortified. <laughs> and you as the reader will be mortified too. Yes, it, it is, it is, it is such a moment. It is, it is have in a nutshell. Like accidental boob graze on this woman who's supposed to be the mother of the guy you are pretend dating. It is have in a nutshell. She is a, it's such a disaster. It hurts just recalling it. <laughs> feeling like that embarrassment um and and she's like okay keep moving forward that happened can't change it okay we'll keep moving forward um and then she goes into the living room to meet meet the dad and you know give hugs all around and greetings and the mom gives her a glass of homemade mold wine and as have goes to shake hands Christopher's father sorry I just the embarrassment <laughs> is so strong <laughs> she takes a sip and dies it's <laughs> the end of the book the book's over no it goes down the wrong air pipe <laughs> and there are moments in your life you will recall you were taking a test and it was quiet. You were in church and everyone was praying, trying not to wake up a small child. There are moments in your life where some chaos deity will decide, hey, how funny would it be if they coughed right now? <laughs> and I mean a little cough. I mean sound like they're hacking up their lung in an aquarium. <laughs> and half experiences one of those deep, guttural, awful, down the wrong windpipe coughs right in his face. <laughs> right in it. Spittle oh. hacking. I read this page so fast. I just skimmed through because I was dying. But I had to know what happened for, for our little book club. I had to know. But I was reading it so fast because it's so awful. It's so awful. Well, and I will say, to to his credit, uh, Otto, Christopher's dad, is very gracious about it, just like Esther was. You know, Otto makes a joke. Um, and it diffuses tension. Christopher's parents, unlike Christopher, are very good at society. 
he's not. Christopher's he's not, so no. bad at being a member of society, but his parents are very good at it, which is hilarious. Yeah, his parents, like, know all about decorum and, like, how to, like, keep the conversation going and not dwell on the awkward. It's very much like the stiff upper lip, like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And then there's Christopher, who just, he, he blushes like a virgin. Like, he's just... <laughs> He's, he's just a soft guy. He's a soft bean. <laughs> Not he's he's a cinnamon roll. He's too pure for this world. So you would think, you know. All right. Worst that could happen has happened. She lived through it. We're going to still sit what with What else the can go wrong? What else yeah. can go wrong? She even sets down the the books she brought with her. Uh cuz everyone's kind of settled in the living room. Um Leaves it on the counter. Then she hears a sound. And she's like, oh, the dogs are being let in. And Christopher's parents say, oh, yeah, that's your sister out back. She actually surprised us. She came home a few days earlier uh, than we thought she would. And who walks in? But the fucking... Hot-ass mystery lady from the bookstore. Bookstore girl. Bookstore hottie shows up. Yep. And she's Christopher's sister. I want y'all to know that I try to go very blind into these books. I didn't read the back. I just bought (laughs) it. So when I messaged y'all, screaming... she didn't read the back i didn't i didn't i don't i don't read anything i just go in blind braver when i people never existed when i messaged y'all on discord at like 3 a.m that was pure panic because i didn't know it was gonna be his sister and i i didn't even make sure that i got the right book at first because i was like wait this is pretty straight christopher and are they going to fall in love together? What's going to happen? Oh, the bookstore lady. That's going to be it. And I was like, oh, this is how it's queer. I wonder how we'll see her. I didn't know it was <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. So I'm just there in bed freaking out. And it's so fucking awkward. And, and... She looks at her. It is immediately obvious. She looks at her. Kit recognizes Have and Have recognizes Kit. And Kit says, Wow, you just look so familiar. Must just have one of those faces. And then Have's like, Yeah. (laughs) She absolutely rakes her across the coals. Yeah. As she should, honestly. Like, if that were my brother, like, yeah, I would roast your ass. Yeah. Yeah, if you were flirting with me in a bookstore and then I find out that you're my brother's girlfriend who everyone's been raving about. It'd be on site a little bit. Yeah, so, like, it's a very reasonable response, but Kit does not pull her punches while still keeping it under the radar. You know, like, it probably looks like a slightly strange, like, interaction from the outside, but it doesn't really give anything away. Yeah. Well, and and then, so later on... They, uh, 
Oh, it's another scene that's so awkward. Oh, God. <laughs> this is the one I thought you were freaking out about when you messaged. No, no. <laughs> oh, this a different is, one. I, yeah. I was freaking out initially about the scene with the coughing and the boob grabbing. And I was like, oh, Corinne, this is so awkward. I didn't know what awkward was. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know. I, I had not yet seen the light. <laughs> And um, so as I'm reading, we we get to the dinner scene. And um, they all they all get together for a nice little roast. Um, and I will say there are things about the mom I absolutely adore. Like the mom makes sure to pronounce her name correctly. Yes. Instead of just half. Uh, she tries to make sure she uses the Welsh pronunciation, which has a V uh, that's not written. So it's more like have... Yeah. And she does that correctly. She gets her name right. And she cooks a dinner that is Welsh. She, she like, makes a dinner that is traditionally used with, like, Welsh spices and stuff. So you're thinking, this is actually really sweet. This is going really well. Awkward as fuck. But go, Esther. And then out comes the damn gravy boat. <sighs> and Esther even puts a little saucer under it. She's like... You know, I know you're a little clumsy. It's okay. We all are. <laughs> this is a linen family. Yeah. Yeah. This is like linen tablecloths and cot- like real napkins. There's there's not paper towels around. There's no Dollar Tree fucking table runner. It's linen and cotton and stainless. Nice silverware. Yeah. So... She's sitting there, bumps the table a little. Nothing bad happens. It's fine. Conversation goes well. They're all chatting. It's a good time. Um, and then Have gets a little cold. Yep. And she remembers, you know, Ambrose got me this very sweet sweater. Her and Ambrose are in a bit of a fight. Um, cause Ambrose is upset. Like you shouldn't have done this. You should take care of yourself. You shouldn't have agreed to do this. I'm mad at you, but I still love you. Um, but it's given her a very nice, high quality, soft sweater as a Christmas gift. She decides to put the sweater on cause she's cold mm-hmm. and she figures it'll feel like a hug from her friend cause she's feeling very not enough, you know. It's a very well-to-do family. And then it's pointed out there's something on her sweater. Andy, can you, as you are dressed for the occasion, can you tell us what's on the sweater? I actually found the sweater on Amazon. I will pull it up for you now. But there, the sweater has reindeer on it, and it's adorable. They're frolicking, right? That's what I have thinks is they're frolicking. Looking closer at them, they're not frolicking. Uh uh-uh. uh. They fucking. They fucking. Uh huh. And um, so she puts her sweater on, and uh, Kit just fucking dies, loses it fucking loses it and have is like what is going on 
And Esther, without looking up from her plate, says, what does she say, Roxy? I think she says something like the deer are fornicating or something. I think she says they're like, they're very active. Yeah, very, yeah. The deer are laughing because the, uh, or uh, uh, I believe Kit is laughing because the deer on your sweater are shagging or something along those lines. Oh, but yes, I did find this. Let me see if I can find it again. Because I, if it had come in my size, I would have had it for this. <laughs> I think I broke Roxy again. <laughs> this book broke me in a, in a wonderful way. I truly enjoyed it. But once again, as I said, if you're someone who has very strong levels of empathy for fictional characters even. Like, yeah. there's an episode of The Office I can't watch, and it's called Scott's Tots. Yeah, where... me neither. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's it's legitimately a thing. Like, there's a whole subreddit. I think it's called Can't Watch Scott's Tots. <laughs> and oh, my God. it's, like, all about secondhand embarrassment for, like, fictional movies and stuff and TV shows. And it's, like, this book... The beginning, it gets better. There's like a lot less, you know, visceral embarrassment, more like overall embarrassment. Um, but the first, first fourth of the book, you're gonna, your face is gonna hurt. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, it is an experience. Um, and it's just, oh, it's embarrassment after embarrassment. It, oh. It's, oh, go ahead. And, and we didn't even finish with the sweater story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because when she realizes what's on her, she then goes to take it off, knocking over the gravy boat. God, and gravy punching boat. Christopher in the face. And punching Christopher <laughs> in the face. <laughs> this is her first day. Oh, she hasn't even people. been there six hours yet. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no. I, this book brought up so many feelings of the first time I visited my wife's family for Christmas. It, unlike a lot of books, this book actually made me feel like I was there. It was very good at explaining atmosphere. It was very good at giving like real personalities to people, flaws and all. And like, I was just reminded of like 21 year old Roxy trying to decide what to wear, figuring out what gifts to give. Like, are they going to like me? What's going to happen? And I even have a brother-in-law named Christopher. (laughs) So I was just like, it just sent me back to that first time being so uncertain and so wanting to make a good impression, like a good impression around the holidays, which can be very emotionally charged. And it's funny because in our foreplay, we were talking about how, <laughs> how it's like the holidays are your first experience and your first little tiptoe into divine feminine rage. <laughs> because that's when a lot of sweet, kind moms are kind of pushed to their limit. <laughs> and yeah. you see them snap a little bit at their spouses or their kids, you know, in different various degrees. Um, and it's like a it's like a powder keg. Because you're going in there as a new element, not knowing what to expect into a very situationally charged occasion. Yeah. Uh, and boy, does she do everything wrong. And it's so funny. 
it's so funny and it hurts so bad. Well, and in a way, it, it really does what Christopher needed, which was take the attention away from him. She didn't mean to do any of these things. Um, and it, it's obviously making his parents kind of question his judgment. But, like, at the same time, they're not asking him about his job. They're they're not worried about whether he's gotten over his ex. You know, they're they're more worried about this strange woman he's brought home who's just, like, a disaster on legs. And it is, it, it's, it, it's doing the work, um, but it is uh, not, not really in the way they intended. Yeah. Um, I, I did provide you guys with uh, the closest thing that I, like, kind of what I was picturing, like, where you could feasibly be like, oh, yeah, they're frolicking. They're yeah. Fucking, you know. Um. Well, and, because I... I remember something about it being like repeating, like a repeating reindeer pattern. Yeah. So like, I'm wondering if it's if it's smaller, but like maybe. this is similar, like maybe yeah. something like this, but like similar and repeating, you know? Yeah. This is just what I pictured. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So like something that feasibly, if you just glance at it, you don't notice. Oh, they're fucking. Yeah. Um, and then you stare at it, and you're like, oh, they're, they're fucking. fucking. <laughs> um. So. So, after. After this this dinner, um, all the the Calloways go and have reading time, um, and um, half like uh, have I'm pretty sure she she goes and takes the dogs out so she can just get some like time. Uh, I think she goes upstairs. She's like, I'm gonna go to bed early. Oh yeah yeah yeah. At this point, she goes to bed early. It's later when she could takes the dogs out. Yeah. Um. So she she goes to bed early and um calls later Ambrose. Yeah, calls Ambrose and, and and says, Oh my god, the the you woman yeah. <laughs> the one for the bookshop is his sister. Yeah. And Ambrose roasts her. And that's when the Twitter polls really start. Um, because basically every update that have gives Ambrose, Ambrose turns into a Twitter poll. <laughs> And, oh, God, they're so... I'm not going to, like, read them because, like, well, first of all, I have the audiobook, so I can't yeah. go back and read them. Yeah. Um, but, like, get this book, guys. They're yeah. so funny. It, it's, yeah, the, it's seriously so funny. Um, at, at After realizing that the sister, the, the hot woman is the sister, it's like, what do you do when um you have a crush on your boyfriend's sister? And then some, like... Somebody responded in the comments is, have them fight for your affection. Yeah. <laughs> Gladiator battle. <laughs> it's fucking great. It's so good. Um, but one, uh, eventually Christopher does come to bed and they're sharing a bed. There's only one bed, but it's the wrong bed. It's yeah. Christopher's. <laughs> yeah. um, and they finally get to talk about like PDA rules. And Christopher is such like a, pigeon about it like he's, he's a like prince he's That's, a little prince yeah he's so shy like half half is very like brash and bold about like making jokes about her tits and, and like how he can give her a little bum pat you know to sell it and he's like why do you always talk about your tits with me <laughs> and she's basically like because they're magnificent yeah honestly good for her yeah oh. um but there is a very good moment right here um, after they're done talking, um, cause she's thinking about, um, 
at some point, um, she's thinking about Kit, and uh, there's a very good uh, bit of, uh, wow, sorry. At one point, um, she's thinking about Kit, and, and this is kind of like sums up where Hav is at at this point in the story. God, she needs to stop acting like an absolute dork in front of the Calloways. At least in the bookshop, only the bookseller bore witness to her embarrassing behavior. Kit takes uh, her seat and half realizes she's going to have to stop staring at her throughout this meal. And this is during dinner. Yeah. Um, what is the middle of the ground? Looking, she feels like she's forgotten how to look at a person normally, which she's already bad at because really, who even likes eye contact? Anyway, never mind looking without thinking about touching or kissing. Get your head in the game, she tells herself, taking a hurried sip of gas in front of her. She needs to do something that's not looking at Kit or thinking about looking at Kit. Oh, God, she can hear herself when she sounds like she's losing it. Act straight. That's what Ambrose would tell her to do. Act like you've never fancied a girl in your life. Definitely not the one sitting opposite of you. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> that's... So... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. That's such a real yeah. f- fucking queer experience. Yeah. Like, God, I used to do this for, like, 20 years. How do I do this? Yeah. And that's where her head is at, like, as she's, you know, as this first day closes. Like, I just need to pretend like I've never liked a girl in my life, and I don't like that one in particular, and it's gonna be fine. It's fine. fine. We can do this. Christopher and I can pull this off, because I've never liked a girl in my life. And she's lying to herself so bad. (laughs) Um, So you may have to correct me some on my timeline, because this all happens within, like, a week. Right. Yeah, this this whole book is a week, so it timelines are a little wibbly wobbly. I believe that the next thing that happens is the next day, uh, she finds out that the Callaways are all early risers. Yes, and that Esther is throwing a big Christmas to do. She had a name for it, but I don't remember. It's called like a fet, but I don't know how that's supposed to be said. It's F E T E, but there's a little a accent. Yeah, something. Accent? Is that what you just said? Yeah, an accent. Accent. accent thank you. That's a different eh. accent. <laughs> um, that is a French accent thank you. God damn it. <laughs> I, think they, I think in the book they called it a fete. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. It's a fucking party, right? And so she she's woken up by a fucking bell ringing. And it's not like a it's not like a church bell or anything. It's like a bell. Around. Like a little like ding-a-ling-a-ling. Yeah. Uh, and so Esther's kind of manically getting ready you know like the the there's a comedian that does this clip that it's like um the uh cleaning your house when someone's coming over and get rid of the chairs they can't know we sit yeah (laughs) it's so fucking good and it's kind of that energy in autos like i'm taking the dogs and ditching bye yeah he hides and so christopher the night before he came to bed he made up this gingerbread dough to make a gingerbread house to, like, it's a charity event, kind of. Yeah, so this is, like, a raffle item that you can win at the charity event. Um, And so it's supposed to be, like, a really nice gingerbread house. Like, one that you would want to display in your house. Yeah, so um, Esther's like, have and Kit, you do this. I need Christopher to do something else. And Kit or have is like, I burn water. <laughs> don't, don't. And she's not even kidding. Like, she no. legitimately is so bad, but she wants to help so much more. Yeah. Bless her heart. Well, and Kit is an architect, so, um, <laughs> uh,. Kit's mom is like, you're an architect, you could figure it out. It's a gingerbread house. <laughs> and, and Kit's like, 
I don't build things out of cookies. <laughs> I'm too gay for this math, mother. Yeah. Like something that'll happen. My mom and I will be watching TV whenever I visit, and they'll be watching like true crime, whodunits, like Criminal Minds or something, and she'll be like, "So do you think did it, Miss Psychologist? Do you, what do you think? What do you think did it?" I'm like. You think these bitches go on script? You think they're really <laughs> portrayed enough for me to diagnose who's the... G- what? Why do they have to have a mental illness? They could just be a bad guy. My, my favorite thing is my mom. Because I used to be an, an elementary art teacher. Elementary and high school art teacher. My mom will call me and tell me what's going on with my brother's kids. And she'll be like, what do you think? <laughs> Mother. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Show me their artwork. Show me their artwork. I can tell you how long they are developmentally based on their artwork. That's about what I can do for you. (laughs) And help with, like, behavioral management in a classroom setting. That's what I can do for you, buddy. But it's just so funny how parents will just be like, this is what they do for a living. So that means (laughs) just go in a completely different direction. The the fucking worst, and I will get off this topic, my brother and sister-in-law, my brother's a paramedic. They're actually both paramedics, and he's a paramedic professor. So my dad has actually had a bunch of heart issues. And so instead of any time he's feeling kind of off going to the emergency room, one of them is usually working. So they will drive up to the fire station where they are working and do an EKG and look at his heart stuff in the ambulance. <laughs> And I don't know if that's legal, so I may have to cut this out later. <laughs> it's kind of like when my brother would get hungover, so he would give himself a, like a, a drip. <laughs> and I have got... so many friends in the medical field who have confessed to doing that. It works really well, I guess. Um, but yeah, parents are fucking wild. They, they just like to assume you know how to do things you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The author um, did such a good job at capturing that feeling of being under your parents' roof again. There is a line, I don't know if we've covered it or not yet, but it is a line that I have found so true over the years. Um, Let me find it. Uh, It's basically, here we go. This is in chapter 10, okay? The teenage cadence returning when you're home with family yeah when i visit my family it returns (laughs) i i try so hard to be like no i'm gonna be an adult i'm gonna be a professional i'm not gonna pout or get into petty arguments i'm gonna yeah, I'm going to make them respect me. And then you get under that roof and it's like a switch is flipped. And I've seen it happen with my wife, too, when we go to her parents' house. <laughs> Something about returning. I, I think it's it's especially true when it's your child at home. Like, when it's yeah. where you grew up specifically. You know, like, if they've moved or, you know, downsized or whatever. Like, I feel like the effect isn't as big. You still get it because, like, it's still your parents. But it's not as big when you're literally in the home. You know, you're you're where you grew up. You're reliving those moments. I I have divorced parents, but both of them are still in childhood homes. 
So whenever we visit, it's just like, get ready, baby. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Teenage Roxy. She, she still has her, her childhood home. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so every, basically everybody is assigned tasks um, at this point, And Sorry. I do want to say, um, they bring up, uh, I think very smartly, um, Kit mentions, like, oh, I didn't sleep well, and Hav's like, yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, and Kit's like, yeah, I have Ehlers-Danlos, how do I say it? Uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I actually, one of my best friends that we've been friends since for fucking ever, her little sister has it. So, shout out Allie. I love you. Um, so yeah, I was like, I know that one! That shit sucks! <laughs> Um, and what Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is, it's uh, essentially the connective tissue in your body um, doesn't work the way it's supposed to. It's a connective tissue disorder. It can affect your joints as well as your organs, um, your lungs, your liver, uh, basically just about anything. Um, Kit has hypermobile, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos, which affects um, her ability to um, walk and um, move, things of that nature, as well as affecting her sleep um, and uh, just kind of making life a bit harder. She struggles from fatigue and brain fog. Um, and, you know, like she can't do, like, for instance, she can't throw a, a ball for their dogs because she might pop her shoulder out of the socket. Um, and A lot of pain. Yeah, a lot of pain, uh, joint pain, and things like that. Um, uh, EDS is something I might actually have, um, but haven't been diagnosed yet. So, who knows? Maybe. It's really hard to diagnose. Yeah. It's kind of like IBS. It's one of those things that you have to run out of everything else that it could be for it to be that. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I can do a lot of the things that are tests for EDS, which is like... Uh, having uh, hypermobility. So, you know, like this, I'm, I'm showing, uh, holding my thumb back to my um, arm. Um, uh, I don't really have this one, but I do a little bit. When I straighten my arm, there's a bit of a bow. Um, and then um, I can't show this on camera, but I think I've shown you in person maybe, unless I forgot to. Um, when I can, I can stand and I can take one foot rotate it and put it like this um and stand there like that um as well as when I stand up straight um my like you know how this wasn't like super bowing I do get a bow in the back of my knees um when I stand what is straight for me Mm -hmm. um and uh so those are all signs of having EDS however it doesn't necessarily mean you do. You might just have fucked up joints. Yeah, just be hypermobile. <laughs> you just yeah. can be hypermobile. So, um, yeah, and uh, having scoliosis is another uh, possible sign of EDS, and asthma, another possible sign of EDS. Oh, but uh, yeah, and having really soft skin that scars easily, also another sign of having EDS. <laughs> It walks like a duck and it talks like a duck. It might just be a motherfucking duck. <laughs> but yeah, so this is, it's a, not a super well-known condition and it's hard to get diagnosed. So I was glad to see like representation for it, which was really great. Um, and so um, we haven't really gotten to this point yet, but uh, Kit does talk about how she experiences a lot of ableism in her workplace as well as from her own family. Not Christopher, really, but from her parents, thinking she can't or shouldn't do things just because of, you know, her health. 
mind your business unless they tell you they can't do it. Fuck off. Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah, Kit does need help doing certain things, but it's more of like, it's nice of you to offer if she looks like she's tired, be like, hey, would you like a hand with that? Not like, let me help you. Grabs oh, my, arm. My dear, I just think you would be so much better off if you lived at home again where we could keep an eye on, I mean, to help you around the house. <laughs> Shouldn't yeah. you retire early? Yeah. Take a work from home job? You know, like, her, her parents are very, they do it out of love. They do it out of worry for her. But it's really undermining what she wants for herself. And she's constantly had to fight back against that, which has made her more ready to have confrontation with their parents versus Christopher, who never really had to deal with that. However, he had the opposite effect because they didn't believe that Kit was healthy enough to kind of like take on the family business. All of that pressure fell onto Christopher. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's working in finance. That's why he hates his job. It's because he's been essentially built up to take on the family business one day when he does not want to at all in the slightest. He has literally no interest. It sucks his soul dry to do work like that. Um, so kind of, I'm going to kind of push us back on. Um, so Kit and uh, have are put in charge of making this gingerbread house. They fucking blow it. Fucking blow it. Christopher yes. comes in and is like, what the fuck did you do to my dough? What? Re, what uh, look. And I'm so dancing while they make it together yeah. and they're like causing and, a huge mess and that's and have got burned. describes kit's dancing as a wacky waving inflatable flailing tube man it's another heartbreak <laughs> incorporated moment yes or something that is very visibly unattractive is actually yeah. attractive and endearing yeah because like kit is described as like uh, this spiky woman and it's like i love that it's just, guys, it's a Hallmark book. It really is. Like, yeah. if there's a trope, like, it's it's a well done, you know, it's like, I would consider the holiday kind of like a Hallmark. It's better than the holiday, and that's one of my favorite fucking movies ever. So, like, it's, it's good shit. You get all the tropes you want, along with some hijinks. You get some comedy. You get that familial embarrassment. You get a little bit of drama, a little bit of spice. You know, it's just, it's kind of a little bit of everything. And it's believable. Yeah, it's believable. Like, this could happen. I mean, the the unhinged moment of we're fake dating now, you know, like, that is, like, the hardest thing to swallow. But once you've already, like, you're already in it, you're like, okay, they're fake dating now. Then it's, like, the rest of the story, very believable. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So they go to this uh, feet, fate, foat party. Well, Christopher, Christopher bakes a new one. Yeah. yeah. He they makes they a new throw one. it away. <laughs> Thank you. Christopher yes. bakes a new one because he had some dough saved aside because he was like, we could make it as a family, but I guess I'll use that dough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Esther is extra, and I love that for her. She gets fucking reindeer for yeah. this party. Yeah. And... <laughs> Uh, and and stop me if I'm skipping anything like super important, but they're um, basically they are trying. They have said that they met through this mutual friend at that party, Sally. They see Sally at this party, so they're trying to avoid her. Yes. And as they're avoiding her, the the reindeer keeper goes, 
the reindeer are free. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And it's the baby. There's a baby named Cupid. A baby reindeer got free. And Hab is fucking nuts, and I love her. <laughs> she met this reindeer earlier, and it stole her heart. Yeah. And she Fair. was like, I have to find Cupid. And I can't leave the baby lost. And let it be known, Christopher isn't there. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. Christopher, oh, bless his heart. So the reindeer fiasco happens when Kit and Hav are alone together. Because, uh, <laughs> apparently, so Laurel comes back into the scene, right? They meet her at the event, which is really more like a Christmas fair, really. Yeah, um, it's like an outdoor festival, Chris, Kring- Chris Kringle market kind of deal. All the proceeds go to the school library, uh, you know. And, and they're talking about how at Laurel's house later in the week, there's going to be a ball. Christopher <sighs> told her it was a Christmas party. He did not tell her it was a ball, and he didn't tell her on purpose because he was hoping for them to avoid it. Which is shitty. It yeah. was very shitty. Of it him. is like the one really shitty thing that Christopher does. And yeah. Christopher naively, while they're all sitting, it's Laurel and Kit and having Christopher. They're just sitting down. And he goes, well, can't you just go to the store and buy one? All three of the women are like, are you insane? And I love this scene because Hav is plus size, but Laurel and Kit are not. Laurel and Kit are more willowy, very more on the skinny side. But even they recognize plus size clothing is so hard to find in a good quality. You need to almost prepare ahead of time, have a good hookup, um, especially for a black tie event, like let alone everyday wear. But when it comes to like, you know, dresses, gowns, boy. (laughs) And the book specifies that um, uh, have is a UK size 20. And most of the stores, the the highest size they're going to go up to is a UK size 16. And that's not even going to be anything appropriate for a ball. It's going to look like a potato sack or, you know, like it's going to be, it's not going to be flattering. It's not going to be ball level. Yeah. So Laurel decides, I'm going to make you a dress. Christopher, come with me. You're going to make this up to her by doing the chores that I need to do so I have time to make this dress for her. Because Laurel is very much a fashionista. She creates her own clothing. Um... You slowly fall in love with Laurel's character the more you learn about her. And she turns from annoying horse girl to an absolute sweetheart. She's one of the very clear, like, about faces in character where it's, there's nothing actually wrong with this person, you know? Like, not really, they have flaws, but, like, they're actually a good and kind person. It's just, you really weren't seeing them at their best or you were judging them harshly based on the scenario that you meet them in first. Yeah. Um, and that this book does that a lot in a really good way. It it's it's all about how first impressions aren't really maybe the best impressions. Um, yeah. Cut so, to have coughing in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Laurel and Christopher leave, and Kit is with. Uh, they are stuck at the fair together. 
uh, trying, trying to, to avoid Sally. <laughs> yeah, because because after after the initial scene of them having dinner together the very first night, Kit confronts Hav. Yeah, and says maybe we shouldn't flirt anymore. Yeah, like she, she's like, my brother, you know. Sorry. She was oh. like, um, maybe don't flirt with other with women when you're dating my brother. So it's it's legit recognized as flirting. They're yeah. both recognized as being queer, um, kit lesbian and, and have bisexual. And Kit um specifically says, like, you know, my brother's very soft and also, you won't lead people on. Like, making it very clear that she also felt that connection. She was also interested in half. And, like, th- this situation, like, they couldn't keep doing that. Because it, she's dating his brother, to Kit's knowledge. But also, a very real representation of a reaction of a sister. Yeah. Protecting a brother, I think. Yeah. So yeah. all of this needs to be known before we get to this reindeer scene. Because one, it explains why Kit and Hav are alone together. Yeah. Um, and two, why the tension has gotten even thicker between them. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Andy was saying, Hav runs after this reindeer. Uh, the dumbass comes <laughs> into the middle of a lake. <sighs> It's, um, it's in a duck pond. It's not super deep. It, it's, like, maybe, like, waist high um, on half. But it's freezing cold. It's winter. <laughs> because cause the reindeer is in there, and he looks all alone and sad. And she but... she feeds him a carrot, and she gets him out of there. Um, a carrot that she produces from her boobs because she stuck it there earlier. Because she, she didn't have pockets. Character. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the most relatable things a character's ever done in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, I was like, ah, yes, the to put it in the boobs. Mm-hmm. That's what they're for. That's the move. You, you, you stick things there when you have nowhere else to put them, just right in the boobs. The amount of times I've stuck stuff in my boobs when I didn't have other places to put them. It's not small. I've hidden Lysol cans in my tits. Are you kidding? <laughs> so she wraps. Oh, Andy's doing it. She's stuffing. She's putting tits. stuff in her boobs. It's like a turducken of raw surprises. <laughs> shot, 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 and, you know, oh, real quick, though, shout out to this one really funny scene. Uh, the reindeer is about to crash into a booth, and it's the booth that has Christopher's gingerbread house that he worked really hard on. And the carriage train guy is there manning that booth. <laughs> Fucking and cabbage, he man. And sees her running towards him, and he's like, not you again! And she's like, here, hold this. And she hands him the gingerbread. Yeah, like she saves it from falling because Cupid ran into the table. She grabs it, gives it to him. like, make sure nothing happens to this. And he's like, I don't want to be a part of any of this. Any of your shenanigans. (laughs) He's the cabbage guy from Avatar. Yeah. He's the cabbage guy. Yeah. Um, So this whole fiasco has happened. The whole town is proud of her. 
you know, say she's very brave. And she is left alone with Kit at the house. Uh, she has showered, gotten out of her gross, soaked clothes, um, comes down, and Kit has lit a fire for them to be warm. And they just get to drinking wine and talking, which is so, so very dangerous. Yep. For people who just want to be friends. Yep. <laughs> drinking wine and talking in front of a roaring fire in the winter. Excuse you? How, if, if, if there's attraction there and you're trying not to stoke it, what are you doing, you two? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the cute dogs are, like, snuggled in front of the fire, yeah. too. And they're just, you know, they snuggle up closer to get warm. And they just have a very good conversation. And Kid is like, you're crazy, but I respect what you did, you know. And, and they just start to really get to know each other. And then they this... get a little playful. They have a fucking pillow fight. It's hot. <laughs> They're being very playful. You yeah. Know? Um, they, they have a pillow fight, and then they end up, like, face-to-face, really close. There's this tense moment where it seems like they're ready to kiss. And then the door closes. Someone has come home and killed the moment. And later, as half lays in bed, she realizes that her crush on Kid is more than just a crush. She is wanting more. This is more than just physical attraction. And she's like... Oh, fuck. <laughs> Beans and rice. What fan fiction have I put myself in now? Yeah, yeah. And it's, so, the next morning, uh, she, uh, have and Christopher go to Laurel's. Uh, because Christopher needs to finish helping Laurel's mom decorate for the ball. Um, and have is having her dress made by Laurel. Um, and Laurel is able to correctly guess she is a size 20 without doing any measurements, which is impressive as fuck yeah. for, like, a tall, willowy woman to be like, hmm, size 20. You know, like, damn, she knows what she's doing, you know? Um, and Laurel is incredibly fashion-forward in her view of plus size. Like, she's, she just thinks it's ridiculous that designers are only designing for skinny folks when the average size in the UK is a 16. Um... Like, and it was at this moment where ha- Have and I were like, it's official. I like Laurel. Like, yeah. <laughs> right here. When when Laurel's going on her rant about, like, how it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I'm like, I like this woman. I misjudged her. I, I, I did her dirty, you know? And Have is having that same realization that Laurel is more than just Christopher's ex, you know? Laurel, so... Laurel reminds me of a type of person I have met throughout my life. Um, I grew up very not well off until probably I think I was 13, 14. Um, the, the core developmental phases had me eating not bologna sandwiches for school. I had chicken bologna. Okay. Oh. And, and if you grew up... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you get it. (laughs) We had chicken bologna, okay? My mom was a single mother. Um, uh, Just, just. And then uh, through our church, I got a scholarship to the private Christian school uh, of our area. And I met some very, very well-off people. I one time had a sleepover 
at a guest house. Ugh. And she had horses. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah. And to, to go from a kid eating chicken bologna sandwiches to that, um, there are some people of this, like, wealth class who are absolute shit stains. Like, Mark, we learn yeah. more about him later on. I won't dive too much into it. But there are some very sweet people. There are some people who were born immensely privileged, but are still very kind. And Laurel brought back good memories of those few people I did meet who, hey, you don't have anything to wear. Let's figure something out. Kind of like uh, in Princess and the Frog, uh, the Charlotte, was that her name? Uh, Lottie, yeah. yeah. Lottie, was that it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, who are just very bright, bubbly, very wealthy, but will take off their clothes and give them to you. Who will recognize that you don't have something. They don't like that. They're going to work something out for you. And Laurel is that person. She is just an absolute sweetheart. Um, very aware of what is going on. And even though she herself is not plus size, she recognizes... She recognized the idiocy behind the fashion industry for not catering to everyone, you know. Um, she just brought up very good memories of those few people I did meet uh, who absolutely didn't let it taint their heart, you know, who just are still very good people, even if they are privileged. And it's really at that moment where you see what Christopher, who is also very kind, saw in Laurel. Like, we had learned that they had been really close growing up. They were, like, best friends. And then in high school, they started dating. They were each other's high school sweethearts. And that's why, you know, they thought they were going to end up together. Everybody did. But they they felt the weight of everybody's expectations, and it weighed down the relationship, and they broke up because they weren't the people that they used to be. They had grown up. They were adults now. And in this moment, you really saw who Laurel was, and how somebody like Christopher, who we know to be a really kind, if oblivious man, like how he and she worked together. Mm -hmm. um, because before this, Laurel seemed more shallow, perhaps. Like you, you couldn't quite get a good grasp of who she was. And then you see this moment and you're like, ah, there she is. There's, there's the Laurel that Christopher loves. Um, Even though your house is the size of like five manners and you even though your house room, is palatial <laughs> you're still a good person and i respect it because i would probably be a villainess let's be real <laughs> he's the get water partner and she's that he asked for no pickles partner yes yeah i actually while we've been talking my wife is getting us subs and she was like oh don't forget pickles on yours and i was like oh yeah i forgot to put that on my order and i was just like oh my god oh um so we find out that Laurel is a big fan of Ambrose, um, Hav's flatmate, because Ambrose is a, a bit of a, like, influencer, social icon, uh, a non-binary fashionista, a fashionisto, fashion, fashionist. Um, I'm trying to find a, a non-gendered term, fashionist. A fascist! <laughs> a fascist, no! <laughs> wait, 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 wait. A 
fashion icon. Fashion there icon. Fashion there we go. Icon. Yes. A, a non baronet. But if we claim the word. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I don't. I don't think we're claiming fascist. Um, yeah, a non-binary fashion icon. Um, and Laurel is a huge fan. She fangirls about the fact that Hav is Ambrose's roommate. Um, and so when, um, they're talking, uh, Hav, uh, or, uh, so Hav calls Ambrose during this whole design conversation because, like, you know, they want to get Ambrose's opinion on the designs. And when they're talking, Ambrose is like, all the designs are too straight. <laughs> and this is where Laurel learns that Hav is bisexual. Yeah, because she didn't know. And um, at that point, she's like, oh, it makes sense why Kit likes you. <laughs> yeah, there are just- so many dropped hints throughout yeah. the conversations that Kit has been talking to Laurel about having. Yeah, because Kit and Laurel are best friends. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying, Andy. Oh, I just appreciated the, like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, you're so right. You're yeah. So right. These are so straight. These are way my too bad. straight. Let me fix that. Yeah, my bad. I and then they it. and then they find a design that works great. Um, and, uh, have accepts getting the dress even though she can't pay Laurel for it or for her fabric for her time for anything because Laurel convinces her that uh Hav is allowing her to create something that is brilliant and that is all the payment she needs and photos she needs real, photos that she can post <laughs> real quick I do have to say while reading this I kind of imagined um Ambrose to be a non-binary version of Eugene from the Try Guys yes yes like <laughs> There's hints at like an Asian, um, I want to say Asian American, but this is set in the UK. Um, so I, I like, it would be Asian, non-American, Asian British. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's hints I that guess. they celebrate Lunar New Year, yeah, and yeah. Um, also that uh, later there's like a photo shoot with uh, Ambrose's family, and all the cousins are doing K-pop. Um, yeah. Uh, like. Poses. poses yeah. yeah it's it's never hinted at like wearing each other yeah from. um but like and the like fashionable clothes y'all eugene's outfits oh my god mm. <laughs> whenever i ambrose just reminded me of that person i was just like this is amazing um but yeah they they work together to create this amazing dress for her and the way it's described sounds so beautiful it, it is, like, a, a fitted bodice that's like, makes her boobs look great and has a lot of support. And it's made out of this starry-looking material. And, like, it's billowy and, like, just dramatic. So dramatic. And she says that, like, it looks like the night sky. And, oh, it just sounds like such a lovely dress. And, um, as, uh, af- after this, after the dress is, you know, working on being designed, Laurel needs to go make it. Um, Half and Christopher go, go Christmas shopping, and Half learns about a Callaway tradition of making a Christmas wish at midnight on Christmas Eve, which is totally going to be a thing. Like, I have in my notes, I'm like, this is the thing. It's going to come back. The Christmas Eve wish. Um, and then they go out for a drink, and Half admits that she flirted, she met and flirted with Kit before arriving at the house, and that Kit recognized her, which causes Christopher to start freaking the fuck out. Well... 
Christopher is tipsy. Yes, he's tipsy at the time. Because they go to a bar, and that is where they run into Mark. Yes, and they meet up with Mark. Barf. And Mark is a fucking dick. Oh, uh, Mark. Mark is awful. Mark is Laurel's current boyfriend, and we learn that he also used to be one of Christopher's best friends. However, he essentially stole uh, Laurel right out from under him. Um, Not that, you know, you can steal a person like that, but, you know, basically he had been chasing after Laurel for years, and then as soon as they broke up, he was right there to be the rebound. Um, He's a dick, and we also later find out that Mark was promoted over Christopher and they work at the same firm. And it's just like, Mark is a shitty person. He is rude. He is a drunk. He is like, he's just an asshole. And like, he, um, he just comes up and he's being a dick and, and half is able to one up him and get him to fuck off. Um, But while he's talking to them, he also kind of leers at her cleavage, which is so... Yes, like he's he's a real skis, and it's not the only time he leers at her. I think he leers at her later at the um, at the ball. At the ball, yeah, he leers later. Like he's just like a terrible person. You're like, Christopher, why were you friends with him? <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah, there are some friendships that are more proximity based. And yeah, later on you find a like if you have a class with someone or you have sports with someone because yeah. he said he was on the rugby team with him. Yeah, um, I played rugby. And uh, some of the girls were absolutely fantastic, and some I don't talk to. But I, I talk to then because of that yeah. proximity. He sounds like one of those f- friends that he would have phased out of yeah. through life, but ended up working at the same job as him. Yeah, like you know? and like they're they're not even really friends now; they're frenemies. <laughs> um, and the whole reason, like, they still stay in contact is because they work at the same firm, yeah. and because Laurel is close to. Christopher's family and he is Laurel's boyfriend you know like but everyone hates Mark literally everybody who talks about Mark is like I hate that guy he is terrible and Kit has told Laurel that she hates Mark yeah (laughs) she is not silent about her feelings there um so by the time they leave Christopher is still pretty upset from both seeing Mark and also learning that you know uh have and Kit have met and there was flirting and it could ruin the entire scenario um and he goes for a walk with the dogs without inviting Hav and then Hav tries to text Ambrose but falls asleep first um so the next day is the ball and Hav gets the dress and it is gorgeous it makes her cry it is beautiful like, we can't even describe this dress. Like, just imagine. Book. Yeah, get the book. It, it's so, it's such a beautiful sounding dress. And I do want to say the food described in this book. Every time they're talking about food. So, earlier in the book, she's talking about being in his childhood room and seeing all the books he was into. And one of the books she mentions is Redwall. This book, actually, when it came to describing the food laid out, when it came to describing, like, the feasts and everything, very Redwall. Very, I don't know if the author meant to do that, but since Redwall is specifically mentioned in this book, (laughs) I was just like, I see you. I see you. Um, And it was also mentioned in his childhood room, there's a lot of old cookbooks. Um, yep. Which seems strange, but it comes back up later. Um, there's there's a lot of breadcrumbs in this book. Yeah. 
it's a very bread crummy book where it's bread like cummy book. bread cummy book. That's something different. Um, <laughs> she, uh, uh, Because they get a plate that they share things off of together and they help yeah. each other out. And she designs a vagina on the plate <laughs> and cold cuts and puts a clit as an olive, you know. And he's like, I thought you were going to make something foul. And she's like, oh, honey, I'm so glad to know you can't find the clit anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's so witty. It's this whole so book. Oh, it was amazing. And I can immediately imagine the cold cut vulva. Like, it was in my head. Band name Dibs. Cold cut vulva. It's my SoundCloud rapper name. Cold cut vulva. Is that the name of this episode? Cold cut vulva. Um, so, um, there's a really, really cute, um, little scene I would like to read. So during the ball, they have like a lovely uh, dance together, Christopher and have, and um, a little segment here. It's a miracle. Christopher and have dance together like long-term partners, their bodies naturally working together. When Christopher goes to spin her, her body reacts instinctively and the fabric of her dress billows out beautifully. Behind them, they hear some admiring gasps. It's trust, she thinks, and love. They might not be in love, but they love each other. They've weathered so much together already, and she knows their friendship is one for a lifetime, a lifetime of being silly on dance floors. Have is so happy, right in this moment with him. All the complications that are fake Christmas fall away, and it feels real. Not the romance part, but the happiness, the celebration, the being together. And I just thought that was so sweet. It it is such a moment where, like, it shows, like, how... Even though this romance is fake, this relationship is not. They've really been bonding with each other throughout the entire experience, like being there to support each other, talking to each other, being good friends to each other. And like that you can have this love for someone completely platonically. Um, It was such a lovely scene. And then Mark shows up and fucking ruins everything. Um, (laughs) I literally have my notes. God, Mark sucks so bad. He's already hammered as the event starts and accuses Christopher of trying to steal Laurel back, demanding have and Christopher kiss to prove he wasn't. They do, and it's convincing, but there is still no spark for have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they and Laurel are able to get him to go home. Like, he is drunk, the party just started, and he is fucking wasted and demanding people kiss. Like... What a chode. Yeah. So Half actually pulls Laurel aside and is like, is this really who you want to be with? And poor Laurel, you know, she seems at her wit's end and she's like, no, honestly, but I didn't want to break up with him around the holidays. I don't really know what to do. Um, And Half is just like, be honest with yourself. You know, there is no perfect time to do something like this. You can't lie. Which, the irony isn't missed that she yeah. was lying. Yeah. Um, but Laurel does admit that Mark was a rebound. Yeah. It was a relationship of convenience. He was there when she wanted somebody to basically be there just to call her beautiful and, like, ha- give that physical affection that she wanted after getting out of a long-term relationship. And Laurel, once again, drop in hints that Kit has been talking to her. Yes. And confessing things about have says you should go find Kit. 
fucking great wing woman. Yes. Um, and I was like, you know, yeah, I guess I should. And she sees have, uh, no, she sees Kit eventually talking to friends around her own age, you know, people you can tell she kind of grew up with. And have kind of get some homesickness because around this time she would be meeting up with her friends in her hometown. And of course she she's like, of course it wouldn't be in a ballroom, we'd be in a pub <laughs> wearing very different outfits. But it was a neat parallel to see two very different worlds with very similar ties and connections around the holidays. Her and Kit kind of nod, acknowledge each other. And then later on, she meets Kit on the balcony. On the balcony! And Kit is wearing this gorgeous emerald green attire, this gorgeous flowy dress. Um, and she goes out to her. And at first they just share a cigarette. And they just talk. They just chat. Talk a little bit about Mark. Talk a little bit about Laurel. And one thing leads to another, and the subject of relationships come up, and Kit confesses that she is the worst person in the world because she has feelings for Hav. And Hav is just there like, Oh! <laughs> what? And, and Hav admits that she feels the same. You know, like that there is feelings there. They've officially admitted it. And then... <clears throat> They're closer now. Their bodies magnetize to each other. The heat of Kit's body radiates across the space towards her. We can't, says Kit, her mouth an angry slash. We can't. I can't. I know. I know that. But I want to. Half begins to speak, but before she can explain anything or stop all this, Kit is kissing her. Her cold hands cup Half's face, and Half melts. This is all she wanted, and she can't believe it's happening. She could die in this moment. Kit's mouth opens to her, hungry for more, and their kisses filled with the pent-up longing of the last few days. Those lips, those wry, smiling lips, kissing her with such longing. Hav slides her hands up her back, pulling Kit's body against her like their survival in the cold night depends on it. Their heartbeats beat against each other, desperate to mesh. Below them, the string quartet strikes up again, and Hav could swear she is dreaming. It's a kiss made of magic and stardust, and the world around them explodes. It's a beautiful disaster, and she doesn't want it to end. They break apart slowly, smaller kisses that beg for more, just, enough, just another kiss to stay in this world of their own. But as they finally break apart, they are hit with the reality of what they've done. Kit's hand goes to her kiss-bruised mouth. Fuck. Oh, fuck. I have to go. Gathering her dress in her hands, Kit runs back inside, slamming the door behind her. And something I really appreciate, because I feel like in some romance movies and novels, you know... They don't talk until the next day and then they process things. No. Hav runs after her. Yes. Hav books it, gathers up the dress around her, chases her out. And then they go so far out that they're by, I think it's like the horse stalls by the, the carriages and everything. And Kid is just saying, why are you chasing after me? I'm a monster for doing this. I'm a monster to my brother. I can't be doing this. And Hav is like, no, you don't understand, you're not a monster. And then Hav is also like, I can't tell her because this is Christopher's story to tell. Um, 
And then speaking of Christopher, <laughs> they hear something you just heard, which is a giggle. And then they look over and then they see Laurel and Christopher with lipstick smooches all over them. <laughs> They've Those been making out. And Kid is like, what the fuck? Have? How could they do this to you? <laughs> and is like, uh. And then Laurel is just like, oh, it's not real. And then everyone's like, what? Oh, I follow Ambrose on Twitter. <laughs> Ambrose has been posting these polls on Twitter that get more and more specific. Like, how weird is it for your... Uh, Fake boyfriend's ex-girlfriend to make your gown for you. <laughs> and then, like, uh, like, stuff like that. Like, has been tweeting this whole experience. Laurel follows Ambrose and now knows that Ambrose and have her friends. So she put two and two together and realized it was fake the whole time. So we can't even get mad at Laurel because she knew it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, she knew it was a lie. <laughs> um, <sighs> and, like... <laughs> Kid's world comes crashing down because she's like, we're going home right now and you two are telling me everything. So they get in like a little carriage to take them home. And it's funny because the guy driving thinks there's been like a family emergency because all three of them have very stony faces. (laughs) Uh, Christopher is immediately sobered up. Have is mortified. Kit is angry. And they spill the beans to Kit and they tell her everything. And she's like, you dumbasses. Absolute dumbasses. (laughs) What were you thinking? The parents are still at the ball, you know. Um, It's just the three of them in the house. And it is one of the most funny and heartfelt and frustrating conversations I've ever read in a book. Because it's very real, very raw. Yeah. Lots of sibling stuff gets brought out. Lots of feelings. Lots of, you know, I just didn't want to disappoint our parents. You know, well, just be honest with them. Well, I'm not you. Stuff like that, you know. Stuff they should have been saying. Yeah, stuff they should have been saying this entire time. Because there was a lot of distance between them that have kept noticing. That, like, they didn't seem very close. Like, and it seemed weird to her. Um and then, you know, all of this comes out and you realize a bit of a wedge of injury between them by their parents, by the different expectations that were put upon them. Um, and a kid promises she will keep their secret as long as Christopher starts planning to tell their parents what he really wants. And what he really wants is to quit his job and start and go to patisserie school and open a bakery. And she's like, I will keep your secret for now, but you need to start planning how to exit this terrible situation you have yourself and you can't keep lying to them you're gonna hate your life you know and I don't want that for you and um then uh Christopher basically tells Kit to not like not make it Hav's fault that she was helping him like he was being a coward And, like, he essentially gives his blessing for their relationship, saying, like, it's not Hev's fault that she's in this mess. I was the one being a coward. She was just trying to be a good person and help me, you know. Commence with the kissing, essentially. And then he leaves. (laughs) 
<laughs> he's a real one. Yeah, he's a real one. A real good wingman. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but there's a very specific problem with this. Kit, because of the way people treat her with kid, kid gloves, um, hard to say, Kit being treated with kid gloves, um, has always promised herself she would never be with somebody who had lied to her because she wants people to be honest with her and treat her honestly and not try to protect her because she can protect her own damn self. And even though Hav wasn't lying to be malicious, wasn't lying to lie to Kit, it was still what happened. She lied to Kit. And now Kit needs to think about whether she can bend this rule, whether this is a relationship she can get into knowing that have would do this entire ruse against their parents. Yeah. Which is understandably a lot to process. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so they don't really discuss it anymore. The parents get home. Um, and at that moment, you kind of see that, like, despite their flaws and, like, the weight that they placed on their children, they really do love each other. Like, you see this really sweet moment between her parents when they get home where they're, like, just acting kind of like teenagers again. Like, acting like, you know, they haven't been together 30 years or however long it's been. And it's just, it's such a sweet moment. And it, it helps to humanize the parents once again. Because we've seen little bits of, like, how, you know, they may be very specific people or they may be, you know, kind of harsh in certain scenarios. But at the end of the day, like, they're just people, too. And I I think that's one of the things that this book is really good with. I think the only person you don't get to understand more as a character is Mark. And that's just because Mark seems like he's really shitty. Like, he's just a bad person. He's and sometimes people box. are bad people. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing in him. He's just the box that Serial comes in. Yeah. Not, not everybody is redeeming. And that's what Mark is. Um, so Half goes up to bed and Christopher is now her wingman. Um, they promise to get through another day of their ruse together. And we're getting, we're getting to the end here. It's, it's Christmas day, everybody. So, <sighs> before they head down. Oh, yeah, I can do this. Christopher is a very sweet person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Almost bordering on naive at times. He gets have a Christmas present. She wakes up in the morning and that's the first thing, you know, he greets her with. And it is very sweet. Uh, it is a piece of jewelry with antlers and intertwined and a beautiful stone set. Not a diamond per se, but you know, a very beautiful piece of jewelry. It's a ring, but it is a friendship ring, he says, yeah. uh, a promise of their friendship to each other. This man knows the language of flowers, but he doesn't think about the fact that this ring could be construed in any other way besides friendship. Yes, and... Like, Hav goes to put it on her middle finger, like, to make sure it's not in on the, the place it should be. But it doesn't fit, so then she just says she puts it on another finger. Guess what finger it is! <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's the ring finger! It's the ring finger! Uh, these two pigeons don't think anything of it. No. They're just like, you're right, friendship, this is so sweet, go us! 
And um, Ambrose actually does call have a, p- a pigeon in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. <say>. Yeah. <laughs> I messaged them, ma'am, because yeah. I was the first one to get it done. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, like, very excited. Like, no, 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 be excited. And I was like, they call someone a pigeon. <laughs> the same way we do. Yeah. Um, but uh, in this scene, we also learn that Christopher is also bisexual. They've been two disaster buys this entire time. I see. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I want the sequel to be him going with her to meet her family and finding a boyfriend. Anyway, sorry. That would be great. If I didn't love Laurel so much. Fair. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, we discover that the reason it's been so chaotic and they've been so dumb is they're both chaos bisexuals. Because she's like, how do you know jewelry and the language of flowers and all this stuff? But you're such a straight man. And he goes, well, actually. (laughs) Yeah, he's like mostly Mostly. straight. (laughs) Which is very funny. So he's two dumbasses head down. Of course she wears the ring. Of course. And... Presents are exchanged with the family, and, like, nobody sees the ring at this point. And Kit and Half secretly hold hands, because they're sitting next to each other. And, like, Kit hasn't said anything one way or the other, but she said maybe, maybe. But, like, come on, you know, she's holding hands with, with Half secretly. And she notices the ring. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, that's very sweet. Doesn't say anything else. Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't... Yeah, it's very kind of him. Yeah, it like, doesn't make a big deal about it. It's, it's mostly hidden, you know? And... Kit is so coy and snarky. Yeah. Like, she... At <sighs> some points, I was talking to Andy, and I was like, she kind of reminds me of my wife. <laughs> my wife is also very coy and snarky and would totally let me be a dumbass like this. It's a cat and a dog. Watch. I'm telling yeah. you. Like, well, that's yeah, yeah, she's the cat. I'm the friggin' dog. <laughs> Anyway, so um, Esther, uh, the mother, uh, thanks have for taking care of everyone over the holidays. And it's like this really sweet moment where Esther's being like, is showing that she really sees Hav for who she is, how kind she is, and how she cares for others. Even though this whole situation has been weird and Hav has clearly fucked up a few times, she's really seen how Hav is connected with people. And it's this very nice moment. And then, like, you know, uh, in this sweet moment, Esther sees the ring and thinks they're engaged. And, like, immediately, like, why didn't you tell us? Runs to her husband. Uh, yeah. Congratulates her son. Of course they don't correct her. No. They, they, they go for, like, a walk to talk about things and be all happy. And Kid is like, what did you think was going to happen? And Hav is like, but it's not a traditional wing, ring. And she's like, you're weird, Have They probably thought it was just, like, alternative style or something. Yeah, like, you're a weird person. They, they probably just thought, you know, he was picking something you would like. Uh, so, after after this, um, like, uh, they, they still need to, like, gather stuff for the Christmas festivities. And Have gets sent off to go get some stuff for dinner. And walks past the laundry room and gets pulled in by Kit who kisses her but it um <clears throat> goes further than that it's like a pokemon it evolves <laughs> it does evolve i will say up until this point i was like 
wow, this is our first book we've covered that doesn't have smut. That's <laughs> a rule, wrong. buddy. They have to have smut. <laughs> Gotta have some smut. Um, takes 20 fucking chapters. <laughs> yeah, this is a slow burn. Um, Dragon Queen spoiled us. I have no idea. <laughs> they started fucking, they, their eyes were fucking, the, like, fucking the whole time. All right, so I, I have a little, I'm going to read a little saucy section. <clears throat> the door, she whispered. It's locked, Kit says, nuzzling into her neck and nipping at the soft skin with her teeth. And with that little bite, everything else falls away. Bottles clink as Kit presses her up against the shelves. For the first time, she is really aware of their height difference as Kit seems to tower over her, an arm slung against the shelves over her head. In her mind, she sees blankets clutched in fists and Kit's dark hair spread out across a pillow. The spark between them rages, licking at her wide-awake nerves. Her whole body feels on fire and aching heat gathers between her legs. God does have want her. She wraps the thigh around Kit, drawing her hard against her body. Kit's sharp hips answer her own with a soft grind that makes her want to moan. Kit, she whispers again. Shut up, Kit replies softly through the kiss, unless you want to stop. It's a purred question through their kisses, and obviously Hav does not want to stop. No, I don't want to stop. With the hungriest look, Kit draws back so their kiss-bruised lips are moments apart. You have two options, she purrs. Do you want to keep talking? Or do you want me to fuck you? Kit's fingers glide into the soft crevices where belly and hip meet, in which lies the elastic edge of her knickers. Overcome, all Hav can do is press her lips together and nod enthusiastically. She feels dizzy as Kit runs her hand up over the curves of Hav's body to the edge of her bra. They kiss deeper as Kit traces Hav's breast, and slowly, teasingly, she rubs a thumb over the nipple, right into Kit's mouth. Kit laps the sound up like she could live off it alone. And as Kit's hand slides back down slowly to her knickers, she bleats out a soft, Yes, Kit. Have curses that she didn't wear prettier underwear, but all she packed were the most sensible belly button covering M&S cotton panties. It doesn't seem to matter to Kit. Okay, we're good. We're good. Let's not read anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I've definitely had that moment of, I wish I was wearing nicer underwear. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Where you're like, oh shit, I wasn't prepared for this. I'm, it I'm, won't matter, it's not gonna be on the <laughs> But like, uh, y'all, this is fucking hot and out of nowhere. Like, they've been leading us up to this the whole dang book. Yeah. Like they hit us. Yeah, they hit you with it and like have things, oh, this is the answer to the question. Kit is saying yes. Kit, the fucking ice queen, is like, no, it's still a maybe. Uh yeah, after they do it. Yeah. Which I understand, but fu fucking sucks. Yeah. The siblings both have, like, one or two moments where they just kind of fucking suck. Right? Yeah, like, I, Kit was definitely, like, in the wrong here, just like Christopher was in the wrong with not telling half about the dress. And I think it's once again showing everybody has flaws. Like, they each did something a little shitty. And, you know have it has done some shitty things too you know like they're people they're people they're human they're real um and you know have is upset and heartbroken and she goes to sit in the bathroom and text with amrose and it's just like it's such a sad conversation <sighs> um for for have the rest of the day is kind of a blur um and then she is is just 
excuse me. Um, she's just like so upset because, you know, now she's she's slept with Kit and the family thinks that she and Christopher are engaged and this it's this giant big mess that it wasn't before. And then she's thinking about like if they find out, you know, if they find out that, you know, even if they don't find out the fake dating thing, if she left Christopher for Kit, then there's a terrible stereotype of like by people being more likely to cheat and like that's what it's gonna look like even though it was never the scenario in the first place and she kind of understands where kid is coming from and being so like like hesitant. hesitant here because like how do you make this work how do you make this situation work because it unless they tell the parents the truth then it's gonna look like kit stole christopher's girlfriend and Christopher's girlfriend treated Christopher's girlfriend cheated on Chris with his sister, and it's like, how do you how do you fix that scenario? Like, it's very complicated, and so like you do understand where Kit is coming from, and even Hav does. She's like, okay, yeah, you know, what do we fucking do? <laughs> um, and then oh, go ahead. I think I think you're. It's it's dinner time. It's Nick dinner time. Room. It's dinner time. <laughs> Um, so they get around for Christmas dinner. All of the kids are in their own head over different situations. But the parents are very happy. And we find out that the parents are very happy because they have decided that they are officially going to have Christopher take over the family business. Which, as we learn, is uh, rental properties, um, like vacation homes, uh, and Otto stands up and he's beaming, and he's like, "You're gonna do great. This will provide for your your family, and as you have kids, and we're so happy for you." And it, it is such a spiraling out of control moment, and Have realizes. Oh my God, how are we going to get out of this? And Christopher, finally, like the Grinch's heart growing three sizes that day, Christopher too grew a spine and <laughs> says, no, I don't want to run your business. I don't want this life. Hell, I don't even want to be in finance. I want to go to patisserie school. Kit is just there like, oh, shit, he actually said something. Hav is there like, oh, shit, he actually said something. You just hear and... the Steelers wheel stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> just the sweet little baked potato of a child finally grows a pear and stands up to his old man. And... It doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. <laughs> Both Esther and Otto are very upset. They are very mad. They don't understand. Um, this was supposed to be a good, joyous, joyous occasion. Uh, and they feel like it's just been thrown in their faces. And dinner is cut short. Both Otto and Christopher leave walking their own different places. Um, the ladies are left at the table. Esther goes, well, guess the meal is pretty much done. And they all 
kind of clear up. And there's this moment where Hav is helping Queen, where Esther gets a little snarky. And she says, you should talk some sense into him, unless you're the one who convinced him to do this. Which, I've been that daughter-in-law that, like, the snarkiness where they're like, you convinced him to do what he wanted to do, really? Instead of what's best for him? Like, that kind of vibe, and it's just that, the, man, you're fucking, your esophagus drops in your butt, and you're just kind of like, what? Excuse me? Huh? I love your child. What are you talking about? Uh... <laughs> Oh, it was such a moment, especially because, like, there had been such that s- sweet moment between Esther and Hav earlier, and then suddenly that barb is there, you know? And so, you know, the family separates to their corners, essentially, to lick their wounds and seethe, and having Kit go watch Christmas movies. Kit recommends that Hav should leave her shitty job, too, since she hates it. She fucking hates it. And then they fall asleep on the couch together. Which is cute. It's very cute. It's a very sweet moment. Um, eventually they wake up to go uh, upstairs to their separate beds. Um, and um, have realizes that she left her phone downstairs. Um, and she runs into Otto drinking. And they actually have a heart-to-heart. Kit had told her to stay out of it, you know, like kind of stay away. But Hav's like, no, I think I can. I'm good at talking to dads. I think I can do this. Well, and... and- his business is kind of like it's like rental properties and it's also like almost catered uh, old people homes yeah of. like he has retirement yeah, homes she that finds are out while yeah. talking yeah. to him he he confides in her a bit more that oh go ahead Andy. no go ahead. i interrupted you dude well well what you were getting at basically is that he also has nursing homes because he realized when he was figuring stuff out for his parents it's so expensive. It's heartbreakingly expensive. And it's um, shitty. <laughs> yeah. And government-run ones are just the absolute worst. And so he decided to create a safer, more humanizing area for them. Um, and he talked to her about how he really related to her about caring about, like, nature and caring about people and caring about the environment um caring about the grounds and it's just a very good connect they have and and you can see him kind of be like you know you would do very well with this yeah like he he definitely has a moment there where he's thinking that (laughs) um and then you know eventually uh have leaves um but she, before she goes, she advises that he needs to listen to Christopher. Really listen. Because he doesn't want to disappoint his father. Um, and it's, it's, I'm so glad, like, somebody finally said it. That wasn't in the family. Because, like, you know, Kit was always going to be, she was going to try and say it, but it wasn't going to come out right. And it needed to be somebody else to say it. Because Christopher couldn't, basically everybody was so caught up in themselves that they couldn't speak the truth. Well, and with families, there's a history of, yeah. you know, it's it's just extra complicated when it's in the family. Yeah. Um, Which I, is why family therapy exists. Yeah. <laughs> um, next, does anybody want to talk about Boxing Day? Is That's the day, right? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. 
So, um... <laughs> it's, it's the day... I believe they start off the day everyone is kind of doing their own thing except for Kit and Hav. And Kit and Hav are like, let's take the dogs out. Let's go fucking vibe. You know? That, it, that's word for word from the book. <laughs> um, and so they walk outside and they're, you know, enjoying the snow. And... I don't... Uh, they start having a snowball fight. Very cute. Um, they end up... Somehow they end up on the ground, I think. I think one of them slipped. Um, yeah. And I, I think Kit started to slip and then have, like, tried to grab her and then, like, broke her fall. But, like, they're essentially now, like, Kit is sitting on top of Have. Yeah. Yeah. And the fanfiction Hallmark moment happens where they're, like, Hey, 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 little mama, get your lips down here, dude. <laughs> I do that voice because Roxy hates it. Um, uh, but they start kissing and having a great time. And then... And then... Have stops it. Because earlier that morning she had seen that her ex, Freddie, had gotten engaged on Christmas. And she'd actually broken her phone because she'd been so upset about it. And she realizes that they're still in this situation where she is engaged to Christopher and she doesn't know, she she can't foresee a future where she isn't heartbroken by getting with Kit. Because Kit still hasn't given her a confirmation. This seems like another just fooling around moment for her. And so she tells her to stop and she panics. She panics again. And and we see her panic multiple times throughout the book because she, you know, does seem to have a panic disorder. Um, the uh, whoop, whoop, panic disorder in the house. Um, <laughs> Roxy, oh! <laughs> listen, we have it too. That's why we can whoop, whoop. Yeah, we can whoop, whoop it because we got it too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on like two medications for it whoop, whoop. oh same buddy so, high five <laughs> we high fived our cameras I'm just cameras. imagining you high fiving but I'm like in between so it's like <laughs> we're just like smashing your face <laughs> um, so you know Hav runs off like back to the house and we hear Kit drive away but Esther saw them kissing and Esther has brought Hav's bag down and wants her to leave. She says, I will not have anyone hurting my children in this house. You must go. And she tells her that Hav will have to leave without a word to Christopher or Catherine. And then most heartbreaking of all, like as, you know, Hav is leaving, you know, I really liked you, Hav. Or perhaps I just liked the person I thought you were. I'm disappointed it turned out this way. Oh, right in the heart. Oh, Hav doesn't let herself cry until she's in a car being driven away. Oh. And it's just, you're, you're like, it's, this is like the 20th chapter of the book. And you're like, how is this going to be resolved? It's the last 10 minutes of every yeah. SVU episode. Yes. So <laughs> Hav goes to, she gets, she ends up at the train station Um and she calls Ambrose, bursting into tears. Um, Ambrose, best, best friend. They um, are going to meet her in London. They immediately get a ticket. And then 
they're going to take her wherever she wants to go. If she wants to go back to their family's place, wants to go back to their apartment, you know, like whatever she wants, they're going to do. Um, but the man who had heard the whole scheme, the cabbage man, cabbage man, <laughs> cabbage carriage man, shows up again. He's been here the entire time. But seeing half upset, he's really kind and lets her kind of like bleh, vomit the whole story onto him while she's waiting for Ambrose to arrive. And have thinks that the only thing she can do is run but the man uh Bryn I believe we would yes. say we it. find out his name yes we Bryn. find out his name it's yeah. Bryn but we uh, also find out he's the second cousin of Laurel so yeah that's, that's why, why he has seen him everywhere yeah it's not just weird he was yeah. in the family Laurel's family um he uh he talks about the various antics he's seen and like how she rescued the reindeer, how she stepped up all these different times, like how she got um, Mark out of the ball, you know, like those aren't the actions of a coward. He gasses her up. Yeah. Like he's like, you aren't a coward. Look at all these things you've done in the seven days I've known you. You're ridiculous, but you're not a coward. <laughs> and then, um, you know, have looks in her bag. Uh, cause she's cold. She wants to go get a sweater and she finds a present one she hadn't seen before. And it's from Kit. And there's a pair of gloves in there. And it says, I'm in if you'll have me. And the thing is, while they were outside in the snow, Kit kept asking her, do you have any gloves? Mm-hmm. And you don't even pick up on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Kit thought she had already seen. Kit thought she already knew when she kissed her in the snow. And so that's why Kit drives off so upset. Because she's like, she thinks she's been rejected. And half just didn't know and oh my heart disaster gay yeah they're just being disasters Uh, and you know if you just talk to each other (laughs) and you know that have them realizes that when she ran away kit was probably trying to tell her that she had made her decision like she was trying and she decides she has to tell kit she loves her but her phone's dead she can't do anything because of course and so she has to find Ambrose and get a hold of Kit. Like, that's what she needs to do. Um, but her phone's dead. But her phone's dead. So she told Ambrose that if her phone died, she would meet them by the big well, Christmas tree. Well, she uses Bryn's phone. Oh, yes. yes to tell. Uh, yes, that's Ambrose. right. Yeah. She uses Bryn's phone to tell Ambrose that uh, they'll meet by the big Christmas tree. Um, and so, you know, they, they go and Ambrose and her meet up. And, you know, they still don't really know how to find a way to get a hold of Kit. Except, dun, dun, dun. Brynn is sneaky. Brynn is sneaky. Because have used Brynn's phone. Brynn had Ambrose's number. Mm-hmm. And they talked. Also, they talked with Laurel. Because Bryn is Laurel's second cousin. Exactly. Who then reached out to the siblings. Keep in mind, this train ride is several hours. So if you're wondering, how did this work out? They had a lot of time. Yeah, it's a long Um, train ride. (laughs) To clear everything up. And Kit, Laurel, and Christopher are at the train station in front of the very bookstore that they first met. And... Oh, the reunion. They, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, it's just so sweet. It, it's such a sweet reunion. They are like trying to run to each other through the train station, and it's impossible because there's a bunch of people. And like, 
everybody who's with each person or just like a single file line behind them like yep they'll they'll get there eventually and then when they do like they both confess their feelings immediately saying i love you and then there's a joke that it's a u-haul record <laughs> it's a very sweet lovely reunion and even Bryn is like playing the piano um something i really liked about this book and something I love a lot about these specifically queer romance novels we cover, because I feel like they do this very well, is a subversion of tropes. A trope I have always absolutely hated is the magical all-knowing minority, where there is often a person of color in a movie who's like, go after him, what are you doing? And they pop up sporadically throughout the movie. This time it's a nervous white man. <laughs> a nervous Named white man who Bryn. just wants to do his job and celebrate yeah. the holidays with his family and keeps getting pulled into antics. And, and I just, I really loved that subversion because it's always a trope that has made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, and Bryn was just absolutely delightful throughout the whole novel to, to see him pop up and be like, oh, not these idiots again. I'm getting out of here. Whatever y'all cause. I don't want a part of it. Uh, to see him finally knowing the full story and supporting it. Also, we do get a reunion with the bookseller who sees them together and is like, oh, thank God, you know. <laughs> that bookseller is so happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, everyone minus the bookseller and Bryn are headed back to Oxley to, to go tell uh, or to, to kind of like, and not tell the parents because they already know. Christopher did come clean after he realized Hav was gone. Parents are confused, but they're, they're going back to try and, like, just kind of calm everything down, reset. Um, so everyone except for Bryn and the bookseller, of course, go back. And um, they bring Ambrose with them, which I Yeah, and Ambrose hilarious. goes back. Yeah. <laughs> and when Ambrose gets over, like, wait, who are you? <laughs> Who's the non-binary in the backseat? seat? <laughs> um, like a children's novel. <laughs> So, on their way back, Hav resigns from the job she hates on Kit's phone. Fuck yeah. And uh, Laurel and Christopher have seemingly had a really, like, good adult discussion about their relationship. They aren't back together, but she's left Mark, and she and Christopher are now friends with the possibility more in the future if it feels right. You know, they're not rushing anything. They're just saying, we can be in each other's lives. We can gas each other up. We can be there for each other. We were best friends for years, and we shared a lot of time together. We can still be in each other's lives, even if it's not romantic. Yeah. Maybe it will be, but let's just be friends again first. And then um, the parents apologize uh, for jumping to conclusions and being, you know, Esther apologizes for how she treated Hav. She should have at least let her say goodbye, you know, like, like, Hav understands why she reacted the way she did. But, like, at the same time, oh, go ahead. It's just very sweet also that Hav noticed that even though she threw her stuff at her, she folded all the clothes in it. Yeah, it was you know, it was carefully like, packed. It wasn't like... It wasn't out of anger, it was out of sorrow, you know. And, like, she was trying to protect her kids, you know? Like, it, it was a terrible situation that she thought she was in, having just seen her, her like, future daughter-in-law kissing her daughter and cheating on her son, you know? Like, what reaction would you have, you know? Like, it's... There was no good reaction you could have there. Everything was going to be sad and terrible. Um, 
But, uh, you know, they, they all apologize. Everyone apologizes to each other, basically. And then Otto offers have a job with no expectations. Like, not because you, you know, are in a relationship with either of my kids, just because I think you'd be good at it. You know, helping to run the grounds, being able to relate to um, the, like, the people staying at the nursing home. You know, things like that. Things you'd be good at because have is so good with people and so good at connecting with people. Um, as well as knowing a lot about, you know, the environment and you know, being able to take care of the grounds as well as the people there. Um, and then Hav's like, we can talk about it after Christmas. This has all been a lot. I need to think this over, which is great. Hav is giving herself time to think something over instead of just barreling through it like a rhino in a china shop. And then they also realize, oh, shit, we have to tell her parents. Yes. Too. So <laughs> nice time. Hav's parents were like, yeah, sorry, that wasn't actually my boyfriend. But... Yeah, but this is my girlfriend. <laughs> go into detail but they're like they were confused but all right yeah like they were fine and you know they didn't really get like a full they didn't see the full experience so we don't really need to see their full experience you know like and you know uh after half is honest with her parents ambrose says that they're proud of her and it's like oh ambrose and Kit and Half, like, after everything's done, they go and curl up together in Kit's bed. And it turns out that Half was Kit's Christmas wish. It's sweet as fuck. The Christmas wish came back. <laughs> it's so sweet. This I is a good book. It is. I really appreciated the U-Haul joke, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a record U-Haul. <laughs> One week. One week. And it's just, yeah, I, I'm i just going to say right out of the gate, five out of five. Delightful yep. book. Fantastic. Five out of five. Five out of five. First time. C- considering I knew nothing about this book going in, you know, it fantastic. I don't know how I found it. I don't remember how I found it. I think the other five out of five we did was Sing Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We, we like queer books that feel real, it, it seems to be. Damn. <laughs> Who could have guessed? Who could have guessed? The queers would like queer representation. <laughs> I do also love, shout out, Laurel and Ambrose. Ambrose decides to stay with Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they go to, they go to start a clothing fashion. line. <laughs> yeah, they want to do a clothing line that features more, um... Like, androgynous styles puts a focus more on, like, plus-size individuals. Like, they really want to, you know, just Size reclaim fashion. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. And it's it's just, it's such a good book. Seriously, read this. You'll even, we, we've we told you the plot, but you didn't get all the cute moments. No. And like, you didn't feel it you didn't feel it you, you didn't get the banter you didn't get the emotions you know it's it's so good it's so funny it's so heartfelt and it's just a, a good christmas story at the end of the day highly um i also highly recommend the audiobook i uh, have talked about this a little bit in the past but sometimes i get the audiobook because like i can do other things and i have trouble focusing um highly highly recommend the audiobook as well um, so do, do you want to tinkle or talk about a fanfic first? Um, I've got a couple of fanfics if you want, and then we, like, I'll blast through them. Uh, yeah, let's do fanfic first. This tingle is a good one, so I think we should tingle last. 
Now, am I the only one with fanfic? Yes, I did not bring one today. The okay. the weight rests upon your shoulders. It's all on you. So, uh, luckily, this is one of my absolute favorite genres of fanfic, and I didn't realize it until I was looking <laughs> for fanfic, and I was like, I've read that one. I've read that one. I've read that one. I've read that one. There's something about it, okay? I have two in particular that I'm actually three, maybe four. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> it's mainly Good Omens and Merlin. Okay, it's fine. There's a lot of Merlin fanfics that are Christmas pretend boyfriends. Holy shit. That's like most of them. <laughs> um, there are some in the uh, Stucky fix as well. Yeah. But like, I couldn't think of a good one. Like that, that really, because it's, it's usually not my genre. It's not my, my genre of AU. That's so fair. It yeah. is absolutely my bread and fucking butter, I guess. <laughs> it's just soft. Um, one of my favorites of all time, just in general, is A Good Omens. And it's pretend for me. And it's, if you know anything about the plot of Good Omens, it's essentially a demon and an angel being best friends. And kind of in love. Fine. Um, and so in this, like, book, in, book, in this fan fiction, there are essentially proving that they're in love so that they'll be left alone by heaven and hell and it's there's a lot they both think it's unrequited and it's messy and it's it's dramatic but it's also like it's well written enough that like it's gut you know what i mean like when they just kind of grab your guts and go Ugh. Yeah, yeah yeah that it's very good pretend for me by lollipop cop very good if you like good omens and or pining um yeah. Uh, there was another one I haven't actually read yet, but I'm very interested in reading. It's the other Good Omens one. Um, I'll just read the synopsis if that's okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I just have a fucking ton of these. No, it's alright. They all have very similar themes. I've I'm finding that I mentioned the holiday earlier. Anything that's like the holiday movie in fanfic form, I'm like, gimme, <laughs> gimme. Okay. Uh, Aziraphale Fail runs a successful food blog, Celestial Comestibles, where he shares mouth-watering recipes and heartwarming stories about his ha happy domestic life in a cottage with his husband and son. As a promotion for his upcoming cookbook, his publishers run a contest. One lucky winner will get to spend Christmas with Aziraphale and his family. What the publishers don't know is that the real Aziraphale Fail is a single city dweller, and if he wants to keep up his happily married persona, he'll have to acquire a cottage, a husband, and a son before Christmas. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> As it happens, his friend and neighbor, Anthony Crowley, has his nephew staying with him for the holidays, one fake marriage proposal later, and everything seems tickety-boo, as long as Aziraphale can keep from developing inconveniently real feelings for his pretend husband. Bread and butter. Bread and butter. That does sound really good. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the main ones. You know, like I say, I there's so many Merlin ones, guys, if you're into Merlin at all. Like, I, I couldn't pick. So, there, there's too many to even discuss. too many. <laughs> but surprising no one, I came with good omens, essentially. Um, well, it's like when I show up with Stucky or Bucky Barnes in any way. If Bucky's here. It's fine. Yeah. I haven't even been into good omens. I've been reading Baldur's Gate fanfic because I have a problem. But, like, when it comes to, like, sweet Christmas feels, incredible. <laughs> I'm doing the Italian salt hand. I'm so sorry. Manja, manja, eat a ball of fake. God damn it. So, I... A pizza pasta. A fake romance. 
I am getting a headache from these lights. I would love to be tingled to distract me from the pain. Oh, let us tingle. It's now time for a very seasonably fitting tingling tingler. Is finding the perfect tree really this important? Hell, is finding the perfect anything really this important? After weighing my option, I finally arrive at my decision. Yes, it totally is. I start the car and begin my quest, crisscrossing back and forth from one side of Billings to the other. I visit every tree lot in town, taking my time to go through their various holiday offerings. I look at tall trees, small trees, thick trees, and thin trees. I inspect everything from the blue spruces to the balsam firs. Still, nothing here truly embodies the Christmas spirit. Every single thing has something wrong with it, and if I want to enjoy the perfect Christmas, then I need to find the perfect tree. I'm feeling defeated as I leave the final lot of the evening, the sun just beginning to tickle the edge of the horizon and cast the snow-covered ground with long, stretching shadows. It's a beautiful landscape, but I'm not at all in the mood to enjoy it. Suddenly, a wild idea rips through my mind, causing me to stop in my tracks before I return to my vehicle. Maybe the perfect tree isn't one you'd find for sale at some random lot. Maybe I've got to trek out into the woods and gather up some pure Christmas magic for myself. With nothing left to lose, I immediately turn and start trudging up a nearby hillside, watching as a variety of plants begin to spring up around me. At this point, none of them are anything resembling your typical Christmas tree. But as I continue deeper into the woods, a few options begin to present themselves. I can feel myself growing more and more excited with every step, realizing now that this plant is exactly what I needed. Everything about this feels raw and powerful and true. The exact opposite of some fake plastic monstrosity from the grocery store. Suddenly, I gasp. My eyes fixing upon the most beautiful Christmas tree I've ever seen. Oh, hey, the tree blurts, turning around and smiling wide. I didn't see you there. I try my best to respond in a cool, casual manner, but immediately find myself stumbling over my words. You all right? The tree eventually continues, filling in the awkward, empty space in our conversation. Yeah, I finally stammer, coming to my senses. Sorry about that. It's just, you're absolutely gorgeous. This excerpt is from All I Want for Christmas is to Eat Out My Christmas Tree. Looking for the sexy bitch? Well, those secrets are chucks, not ours, and we don't kiss and tell. You can find this book on Amazon and Kindle for two ninety nine. I hate you. <laughs> I don't, but I don't want to fuck trees, Corinne. But it's the perfect Christmas tree, Andy. The perfect one, don't you? Sick. I still don't want a fucking yeast infection from fucking sap. Are you kidding? Oh, so sticky. (laughs) But if it's for eating out, shouldn't it be sticky? I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) This was so fucking cute. It was so cute. Genuinely very cute book. Next week, we'll be digging into Lord of the Last Heartbeat by Mae Peterson. Stop me, please. Three words scrawled in blood-red wine, a note furtively passed in the hands of a handsome stranger. Only death can free Mio from his mother's political schemes. He's put his trust in the mysterious Rodri, an immortal moon soul with the power of the bear spirit, to put an end to it all. But Rodri can't bring himself to kill Mio, whose spellbinding voice has the power to expose secrets from the darkest recesses of the heart and mind, nor can he deny his attraction to the fair young sorcerer. So he spirits Mio away to his home, the only place he can keep him safe, if the curse that besieges the estate doesn't destroy them both first. In a world teeming with mages, ghosts, and dark secrets, love blooms between the unlikely pair. But if they are to be strong enough to overcome the evil that draws ever nearer, Mio and Rodri must first accept a happiness neither ever expected to find. In the meantime, looking for hot content and even hotter vibes, check out our Patreon. You can find it linked on our Twitter and Blue Sky, WBTYMPod. You can also find us on Instagram with the same name. 
Plus, we have a Facebook page and a Tumblr if you're into that kind of thing. Please follow, rate, and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Tell a friend. Chase down a coworker. We've got so much love to give and we need your help to spread it. Finally, we'd like to thank Acorns for our theme song. This has been Wham Bam Thank You Ma'am, and I hope we've left you thoroughly satisfied. All together now, get flirty and stay dirty and festive. Oh, Merry oh, Christmas, everyone. Merry oh, holidays. Oh, oh, oh. Been a good girl. Happy holidays. I'll put coal in your stocking. Ow, ow. That sounds painful. God damn it. Want more wham, bam, thank you, ma'am? Can't get enough of our sexy voices and even sexier brains? Join our Patreon at the flirt level for only $3 to gain access to ad-free episodes, monthly book polls, and the patrons-only portion of our Discord. Looking for something more? Our one-night stands at $5 also get episodes one week early and access to our personal reading notes from each episode. We have so much to show you. All we need is a little commitment. Interested? Check out our socials, WBTYMPod, basically anywhere people congregate. Each one will link our Patreon. Can't wait to see you there.